them up, drink them down Whiskey and cigars all around Cheers, y'all my friends to this fine little radio program known internationally and in several uh, states as smoking and toasting we are glad to be here for show number 148 uh it is the the program that's all about craft beer fine spirits and hand-rolled cigars and we are brought to you by our friends and the fine folks at bb butchers and restaurant 1814 washington ave in houston and in the shops at clear fork in fort worth texas and bb italia on memorial in houston and of course bb lemon which is right across the street from the primary bnb steakhouse location they have great food amazing bacon and um the mixed the, drinks yes the mixed, yeah, drinks. the mixed drinks are so and, good and when you go and sit at the bar Tell them that you're a personal friend of Jeremiah, and he <laughs> told you your drinks would be free. That's, <laughs> yes, do that. That's the, right yeah, yeah, yeah. He told you to just he come in you. and drop his Man. name, and, so it's, and somebody would pick up the tab. They put on his personal tab. I wonder think, how many people have tried cool. to do that. Oh, I, I bet it happens all the yep. time. <laughs> Is Jeremiah here? No. Well, he's a personal friend of yeah, mine. Yeah, personal friend of mine. I, I actually went to dinner. I took my wife to dinner there uh, about a month ago, and... Uh, Jeremiah was not there, so I mentioned to the waiter, I said, I'm going to tell you this, I am friends with Jeremiah. I said, I don't know if I should now expect the service to improve <laughs> or go the other way. <laughs> or go completely yeah. away. Right? And then the waiter proceeded to tell me a lie. He told me that he and Jeremiah were good friends and that they went out the other night for a drink. I said, I know that that is not true. Jeremiah does not go out <laughs> for a, a drink. drink. Yes. So... <laughs> Uh, but anyway, it's a great place to go. The food is terrific, and the bar—wow, the bar! And they got a really nice area upstairs, by the way, where you can uh, have a cigar after your meal if you're uh, if you're there in, later in the evening. Oh man, and the it's weather a, is a, just yeah. so nice right well, now. Well, right now it is. I, I will tell you. So, so we do want to say uh, thank you to our guest from last week, Justin Jerfy from Ingenious Brewing, who brought some amazing beers, and I have I have one of them left in my fridge. And you know, uh, Ingenious is an humble, so that means. From my house, that's a, you know, a bit of a drive to go out and pick up more because you have to get them at the brewery. But I will be making that drive because those those beers were that good. It's, it's not quite far enough to be called a pilgrimage. Yes, but, but it's it's a little bit of a hike. The the thing is, like if if you drive out there when there's no traffic in Houston, it's not bad. It's probably like thirty minutes, right? Which doesn't feel too bad. But as soon as you add that one drop of Houston traffic mm -hmm. in there, it mm -hmm. becomes an hour and fifteen. Yep, absolutely. So we'll uh, we'll we'll make it out there. Maybe we should. Road trip, it, Ian, you and me. There you go. I like it. Uh, so our, our guest this week, uh, Jason Poehler, who's a uh, representative of, uh, well, I know you work with my father, and you work with uh, another company or two as well. Is that right? Indian Head and Lagolaire. Yeah. Uh, give, us, uh, give us a little bit. Indian Head and Lagolaire. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All good. All good. So, so those are some, those are some pretty, uh, pretty impressive brands. Yeah, two yeah. vertically integrated companies in the industry. Yeah. Wonderful and partners for our retailers. Good. Well, we will be yes. uh, looking forward to talking cigars with you. I just lit up one of the, uh, my father, La Op Opulencia, which of course is Spanish for the Opulencia. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm familiar with that, yeah. I love this cigar. It's fantastic. Yeah, and I, uh, I have a my father uh, provided by uh, Jason. Thank you. My father, the judge, which I'll let the cat out of the bag. I've had this cigar before, and... <laughs> 
I've had it before more than more than just once and more than just a few times because well, this it's is worth a, this is a wonderful one more than smoke. once. Yeah, so we'll talk about this coming up. Also, in between Ian and myself, uh, our uh, our old friend returns to the show, Mr. Alan Denny. How nobody, are you? Nobody cares about me. We, who nobody cares about. That's correct. <laughs> we have a uh, uh, so I, I forget now. Does this put you two up uh, appearance wise on? Uh, I on was, uh, Chris I was Hart? totally not going to bring that up at all, but since you did, I, I heard a comment that y'all <laughs> you made. You me a piece of paper. It's right here. It said, bring up I, the, the – yeah. I don't know if it was when y'all were on Chris's show or if it was the last time Chris was on y'all's, but he made a comment about uh, that we had lunch, and I the only reason we went to lunch is because I had to – to put it out there that oh, we you were, had to, you had yeah. to like so it just it over so him. happens completely unrelated to anything else chris and i have to have lunch tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> i wonder that what should, will be discussed be, i have a feeling you'll be paying <laughs> so well uh in any case it's good to have you here you have some things going here. on in your uh cigar universe which we'll talk about i do i uh, do so that's uh, so that's really exciting and it's actually totally appropriate that you kind of pod crashed uh today pod crash basically means um, one of our guests was invited to be on the show today. One of them <laughs> just showed up, and uh, and that would be the podcrasher, Mr. Mr. Hey, you, you show up but at Stogie's, and in, there's no telling who could be I here. I was going to say, <laughs> in, right. in fairness, you have an open invitation, so you can always... <laughs> well, as a rookie, I'm glad to have the help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but it was, uh, it, was actually, uh, it was actually you that introduced me uh, to Jason when, uh, when we were at the Stogie's Wing uh, mm-hmm. last year. And because uh, I, I said, hey, I don't really know anybody that works with my father. We've never had a, a, a representative on. You said, come this way. I know a guy. <laughs> yeah. So he introduces me to Jason. We have a short conversation, you know, explaining the show. He's like, sure, I'd be happy to be on. So we set up for Jason to come on the show. And uh, as it turns out, uh, the night before, I think, I think you were in town. Mm-hmm. But the night before, you got really, really sick. And uh, yes. you were... Not feeling good enough to be on the show the next day. Unlike some others who have had to cancel last minute, you totally did the stand-up thing and lined up somebody else to come into right. place. That's and right. that was when we met your brother Tom. That's, r- that's uh, correct. We've also gotten to be good friends with, mm-hmm. and he came on the show. And we had a great time with him, and, and subsequently have had him... Uh, uh, well, we've we've had some good times hanging out with them. Let's just Absolutely. put it that way. <laughs> so, Absolutely. So anyway, thanks to both of you for expanding our little uh, network here and and uh, and allowing us to enjoy some some good cigars with some good people. It's uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. So uh, so Ian, crazy week. What's going on with you? I mean, we're we're smoking these now, so we'll talk about them in a few minutes. But uh, but uh, anything. Anything you need to report? What's your week been like? Uh, you know, this week's been fantastic. I, uh, you know, since I got back from IPCPR, uh, I got a whole bunch of interviews and things, and we haven't had a chance to put them on because we've had uh, so many guests. guests. Yeah, yeah. St- we've had guests, and then on locations, which makes it a little difficult. So I believe next week we'll be able to actually yes. put on uh, a few of those things. And I have a cigar that I uh, I had uh, uh, mentioned to the the gentleman that uh, that gave me the cigar that I would review for the show, so I'll let him know, and I'll let you guys know what that's going to be this week. And uh, so that's that's pretty much it. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to uh, we finally get to meet Jason, who we we were supposed to meet, like you said, uh, last year, uh, or mm-hmm. was it early this year? Uh, I think it's, I think it was last year. Yeah. yeah, last fall. It was last yeah last fall. Um, but that was so awesome when you did that, and you're like, hey, but my brother's in town, and subsequently we got to meet him. 
Um, and that ended up with us uh, getting invited to go to uh, uh, JRE Farms in uh, Honduras, and that was a lot of fun, too. Well, so you went? Yes, yes we did. And oh, we had a, we fantastic. Had a time doing yeah, it was a wonderful time. Yeah, the absolutely. hospitality was great. Learned uh, a whole lot about how they do their version of you know everything from soil to the boxes. Yes, basically. that was that was a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. I'm super excited. My father cigars is one of these brands that uh, it doesn't matter which stick you pick up; it's always going to be a great stick. Uh, Lagalera, I've had a few Lagaleras. I've never been disappointed with those. I'm not as familiar with the line, but I'm super excited to talk about those too. That's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. An Indian so. Indian head. And yeah. Indian Head. I don't know anything that. about Indian Head. Right. Indian Head is a parent company of the Lagalera brand. Okay. Yeah. So, and they all come out of the Tabacalera Palma factory in Dominican Republic, all okay. owned by Hochi Blanco, whose family has been doing this since 1936, and for decades they've been making cigars for other people as well. They're actually the second largest growers of tobacco in Dominican Republic, as I understand. But about three and a half years ago, they brought out the Lagalera brands. Right. So now they're in the forefront. They're presenting presenting their own cigars the people so we're building that market up right now fantastic fantastic we'll we'll talk more about that we'll talk about what's in the line and uh, and what to expect and of course what's going on with my father the uh uh, the trade show ipcpr was just uh uh, that ian was able to crash uh of several weeks ago so a lot of brands have put out new things or have new things that are about to come to market and Mm -hmm. so it's a it's a pretty exciting time in the cigar world particularly because with the looming regulations a lot of companies are releasing maybe a few more things than they ordinarily would uh, because they're things that they put on the docket before the uh, before the approval period. Right, right, right. Was, uh, so the, the was, phantom was activated, brands, as, yes. you, as you'd right, put it. Right, and we were you, uh, about a, a were you in fact out at IPCPR? I was. Did you notice that the the whole acid booth was like a disco party? It is every year. <laughs> was this your first trade show? That was my first trade show. Oh, it's like a disco ball <laughs> party all, every time. It was like hip-hop disco party Yeah, over there. I think there's a few booths that compete to make the most noise. So. <laughs> and Drew Estate's always well up, up there. And they do a great job, though. People really enjoy their booth. Well, it's a... Uh, it's a great. It was a great experience for you. Yeah, I, I love how you describe when you first got onto the convention floor. Oh yeah, just like walking in like a tourist in New York. It was like <laughs> awe striking, just yeah. wandering. It's around. overwhelming, isn't it? Absolutely overwhelming. That building's so huge inside. It's at the Sands Convention, and um, it's just this huge open room that's absolutely insane and and covered with booths from from single uh, plot booths to I don't know. What size some of the some of the bigger names were? They were huge, and what was real important there was cracking me up. Those everyone had their rugs, like you had to have the rugs in your booth. Right, that was funny. Yeah. Well, that's for the padding. On them yeah. That's for the padding, and uh, yeah. you can't have too much of that when you're yeah. standing in for three and a half days. <laughs> yeah, well, that's I for bet. sure. That's for sure. Well, Ian, you could could and maybe should be a little surprised that I actually made it to the show today. What happened? Because yesterday was National Tequila Day. (laughs) (laughs) And needless to say, I did a little celebrating. (laughs) (laughs) How was National Tequila Day? National Tequila Day was great. Uh, One of the things I'll be sharing uh, with you on the show today is a handful of really great tequila tweets for National Tequila Day. See, I didn't even know her. I would have had tequila at my house. Yeah, I I enjoyed some of the skelly is what I had. I'm out of my Reserva de la Familia, which is my sort of special occasion tequila. Uh, so I went with the Skelly, and it was it was just absolutely. I, you wonderful. know, I have to I have to look at my shelf to even see what I have. I know I have some of the uh, Padron and Yeho. I have a few others in there that are pretty mm-hmm. nice. I need to go by and get some of that Skelly. Skelly's so uh, good. It's t- you it's can't t- claim t- to be Texan if you're not 
keeping some tequila around. Yeah, you know, can I, you? I do have some tequila. It's mm-hmm. just I don't remember what all I have. I'm more of a whiskey drinker yeah. and beer drinker in general. So, in, although I've been turned on to some tequilas and rums uh, through the show because he's more of a tequila and rum kind of Speaking guy. of rum, by the way, on today's show we'll be tasting the New Grove Moritus Island eight-year-old tradition rum. I will admit to you, Ian, this bottle is not brand new. Um, this bottle's been in my bar for a little while. All right, today, trying to answer the age-old question, what do you do with a drunken yes, sailor? it happens today. I think you're going <laughs> to like this rum, but we'll see. Uh, right. I, I think you're going to like it. Uh, so we'll all be tasting that, plus some uh, some interesting beers on the show today from <coughs> excuse me, from right up the road, uh, Shiner, Texas. Uh, we'll be tasting Shiner Brewing's Bohemian Black Lager. This is not a new beer. No, this has been out. It's been out for a while. 15 and, uh, years, 12 but years. But I thought it was definitely worthy. It's not something we've tasted on the show before. So, Yeah, that, that came out as one of their... Um, they had a series. Shiner had a series where uh, they numbered them. There was 100th anniversary, then there was 101, 102, and so on. And only a few of those beers that they released... Under that series, and uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but only a few of those beers that they released in that series uh, actually stuck as part of their line. In the 97 did. That was when they were counting down to their 100. Right, exactly. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. 95, 96. Okay, I'm going to prompt you to pick up the mic again. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was when they were they were cel- uh, building up to celebrating their 100th anniversary. And they had a 95, 96, 97, 98, right. 99, and I believe it was a 98 that became the Black Logger. Okay, yeah, gotcha. So it wasn't really, after 100. It was I think they stopped 100. after okay, at 100. Gotcha. Yeah. The, you know, uh, a lot of people I think in Texas that are in you know, kind of the serious craft beer movement, we tend to take Shiner a little for granted, I think. And of course, we've had Jimmy from Shiner on the show. Oh, and he's, he's like so maybe fun. one of the greatest guests ever. He's hilarious. He's Absolutely. just amazingly hilarious. like uh, just well, you go back and watch the show. It's 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 so definitely worth it. But um, but Texas-based craft beer would not be where it is today without Shiner. I mean, they were they were really the innovators, and uh, and and they they still brew some really great beer. And I, so I was excited to to taste the black because that's been one of my sort of go to uh, Shiners for a while. So. I stood for ten minutes in front of the beer section uh, last week in the Shiner section, looking at all the different kinds of beers they have. They have a cherry limeade yes. beer now, mm-hmm. and it's in a set with the cactus and something else. I guess mm-hmm. those are set up for the summer. Oh, so right, right. many different yes. Shiner Bob oh, yeah. beers they now. They got the prickly pear one. They have the prickly they have pear. The ruby red bird. Yeah. They have quite a few. They have quite a few of the like the summery flavored ones. That right. ruby red bird comprised almost an entire summer of my life about ten years ago. <laughs> I mean, that was just like, Shinerbach got oh, me through college. Uh, well, well, agree. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I talked sometimes when I explain to people uh, uh, like the beer scene, uh, like when I moved to Boston, and. Um, the best way I could explain how influential Harpoon was up in the Boston area it, to someone that was formerly from Texas, sorry about that, uh, it, or someone from Texas is to say it's almost like the Shiner Bach of that area in right. that it it's everywhere. Right. Like it's on tap at all the bars or, you know, and now things are a little bit different. But if you if you think back to about 10 years ago, you would go into a bar, you'd have your macro brews. Uh-huh. And then they'd have several other choices, and one of them was always Shiner. Shiner Bob. Yeah. You know? Well, and you know, being a musician and playing in, playing in all the uh, uh, bars and clubs around, every bar had Shiner on tap, mm-hmm. and that's always what I drank, just because it was uh, it was on tap, 
it was one of those where if you're drinking and the and the bar is gonna you know forgive some of your drinks because you're playing, that's an easy one for them to do, and you're not drinking like the super premiums. But I always thought you know that's a great beer, and I meet people all the time that that kind of hate on it. They're like, oh, Shiner. Ah, the truth is, Shiner's fine. It's Shiner's great. Beer, Shiner's you know? fantastic. It's so consistent, and I like having it always on stock at the house because. You can get almost anyone to drink it, even if they're a macro brew, right. even if they normally drink Budweiser or whatever. They'll, they'll drink a Shiner, and then I don't get stuck with a whole bunch of Bud Light in my fridge. I, I end up with Shiner as a go-to as well because I'm not always wanting a bunch of hops. Like, right. Let me just be frank. Sometimes I just don't Sometimes, want the hops. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of hops, there may be some in this next beer that we're going to try today. <laughs> of course uh, there is. From Westchester, Pennsylvania, which has uh, become a real uh, brewing hub just, uh, just outside Philadelphia. Levante Brewing Company's Citra Drink. It's a New England-style pale, and uh, so it's one of those in the 16-ounce cans. We'll be tasting that one today. And then I know you've got to be excited about this one, Ian. From Seattle, Washington, and Fremont Brewing, it's their 2019 Rusty Nail, barrel-aged. Oh, yeah. so, uh, so really excited to do all of that tasting. Bless you. Uh, and uh, plus, we have some interesting things to, uh, to talk about today. In addition to the tequila tweets... Um, we're going to run through 30 beers that changed America. So we awesome. were just talking about, you know, influential beers and from the early days. Speaking of which. Yep. Speaking of which. And yeah, it'll be fun to know how many of those I've actually had. Uh, well, right, that's, right. that's one of the great things about these lists when we come across them is, like, to, to see how many of them, A, we've had, or B, we've even heard of. I haven't seen this cases. list, but I'm going to make a few guesses. I'm going to guess that Yingling is definitely on there. I'm I gonna think guess. that's a fairly safe guess. I'm going to yes. guess that Harpoon is on there. Sierra Nevada is going to be on there. is a good guess. Sam Probably. Adams is going to be uh, on there. Anchor. Anchor. You know, yeah. No Budweiser is going to be there. You know that Coors <laughs> well, is going to well, be in there. But, Come on but, now. But you know, uh, Budweiser probably should be on this because it's about 30 beers that changed America. And certainly right. certainly right. Budweiser did that. You know, before Budweiser started their, uh, their current policy of buy up craft breweries while simultaneously trying to insult the people who buy their products. <laughs> well, uh, this, is, this they, is a new strategy, though, because what they were doing before then was strong arming the distributors. Uh, into not carrying those products. Well, don't think that that strong arming doesn't still exist. Oh, they know. just want you to carry their products, their their craft products. Yeah. So the uh, the grocery store by my house has a craft beer section that is exactly one half of one cooler wide, and then the other half of the this is air quotes craft beer section is all Carbach now, which is AB InBev owned, and then they have about seven doors. I need to take a picture of this. About seven doors. Of blue cases of Bud Light, <laughs> and I'm talking about full doors, floor to floor to the top of the cooler. But in the middle of it is all the Carbach Crawford Bach. Well, listen, Carbach, thankfully, does make some good beers. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the that's the great thing. But but yeah, it is interesting. As much as I like some of their beers, and as much as I like the people over there, uh, they you know I really would go for more choice. Now, uh, let me. Make sure I know this great. You're based out of Dallas, is that right? A Dallas area? Yes, sir. Okay. So I was uh, in Dallas on a, a short little vacation uh, recently, and I know there are several you know, pretty prominent craft breweries in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but in going to a couple of grocery stores, a couple of places just to pick up some beer, I was a little underwhelmed by the choice of of craft product that you would get, say at a grocery store in Dallas, versus what I'm used to seeing at the grocery stores here in Houston. I wonder if that was 
if that was consistent with your experience. I, I came back thinking, wow, Houston's a little more craft forward just in terms of the general you know, the general public and, and what's in grocery stores. Maybe that has to do with HEBs that are down here versus well, have that be, in Dallas but, as much. But we got, like, even at the Kroger stores, though, there's yeah. there's a pretty decent selection. Well, I of shop at the Kroger. Yeah. So maybe I just wasn't in the right store. They don't have enough. I'll agree right. with you. They don't have yeah. enough for what Dallas represents in the craft brew world just yet. Because but it's a I relatively mean, new thing, too. Right. And uh, maybe they haven't caught up. But. Uh, I, I do want to mention, for those of us out there who aren't familiar with HEB, that's one of our local grocery stores. And HEB is a Texas-based uh, grocery store, and they are very Texas-centric when it comes to their products as well. So they do support a lot of the Texas craft beers. So I'm R- sorry, go ahead. Rumor time, by the way. I don't know if this is true, so I'll, I'll say this is just something I overheard. But I overheard that HEB may be looking to expand outside of the state of Texas. Wow. I don't know if that's true. But that they may be... Planning to They're go national. They're getting huge. They're yeah. getting huge. They're doing great with their stores. You know, my only complaint about HEB is that the HEB by my house might as well be a fiesta. It's like the oldest HEB ever. And and they have it's like none of the modern stuff. My biggest <laughs> HEB complaint is parking. Well, they never they, Yeah, their parking lots definitely leave something parking. to be desired. Yes, but uh but anyway. Well, uh Dallas though, I mean uh there's a couple of breweries in the Dallas Fort Worth area. RAR, I think, is amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's in Fort Worth, I believe. <laughs> yes, it is a Fort Worth, uh, Fort Worth brewery, and uh, Deep Ellum makes some makes some great that's beers. Right. And there's uh, and uh, what now? I know they were part of the AB InBev um, purchase, but Revolver's based out of Dallas Fort Worth uh, area. That's isn't out. It? That's uh, am I wrong about that? That's west of Dallas, west Fort of Worth Dallas, area, okay. right? That's I in, think uh, it's uh, southwest. I'm not sure of the town, but I want to say it's southwest of Fort Worth. Okay. Down yes, and I can't think of the name of the town right now, but it's not too far from Anbury? Well, it, I'll that tell sounds you. right. I'll tell you, here in the Houston area, we claim all like all the outlying areas. We go, yeah, those are all Houston breweries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had some great ones on the show. But, Conroe, Willis. But we really should think about uh, doing a road trip and, and hitting some uh, Dallas uh, craft breweries for the show. That'd and be awesome. Featuring you can base yourself in my neighborhood and pr- practically walk to seven of them. I love it. Nice. Okay. <laughs> I believe we've just been invited to stay at Jason's house. That's Is that what awesome. you heard? That's what I think I heard. Yeah, yeah. I'll just tell my uh, girlfriend to park elsewhere so the garage will be open. That'd be great. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk cigars, and we'll talk about uh, the 30 beers that changed America. Plus, and I don't know how much he can talk about this, but Alan Denny is here, who's been with the E.P. Carrillo Tobacco Company for uh, for some time. Uh, E.P. Carrillo Cigars, who've had, now, yeah. who've had a banner couple of years in terms of the uh, product that they've released. Uh, but our buddy, a uh, guy we've had on the show who was a great guest, Jose Blanco, is leaving E.P. Carrillo. Yes. And apparently he's not the only one. So I don't know how much you can talk about, Alan, but we'll ask you a few questions when we come back sure. and see. Uh, see what you uh, you can tell us. So, uh, so plenty of uh, plenty of you know plenty of cigar gossip and uh, also Uproxx blind tequila tasting results uh, in our you know in our little nod to this week's tequila uh, national holiday. I'm going to have to make up on the uh, tequila day. I didn't even know. Okay, you well, have to text we, me these things. These this can every day's tequila day. <laughs> 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 Thank you, and we'll be right back. It's smoking and toasting uh, show number one forty eight with our guests Jason Poehler and Alan Denny. We'll be right back.
All right, welcome back. It's uh, Smoking and Toasting, the show that's all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. We are here for show number 148. Our guest, uh, Jason Poehler, and our good friend, Alan Denny, who nobody cares about. Nobody. And we are happy to uh, have both you guys uh, on the show. This is uh, I'm this here, is terrific. Too. Well... You're not a guest, though. You're, you're here. You're here every week, except of course when you're off, you know, crashing uh, conventions in Las Vegas. There was it uh, wasn't a crash. Well, uh, well, kind of, oh, kind of, sorta. You know, yeah. Let me have my uh, disillusions. Here. <laughs> disillusions of grandeur. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read you a uh, a handful of uh, handful of tequila tweets that went out on or around National Tequila Day. Uh, uh, here's one uh, from Tropic that says, tequila is made from a plant, so you could say I've been vegan so far this weekend. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, Moody Monday uh, t- uh, tweets, me, I'm shy. Tequila, not anymore. <laughs> uh, the, here's uh, Sabatha Christie uh, tweets, there is not enough tequila in the world to sit next to a couple that feeds each other, but here we are. <laughs> uh, Spanky McDutcherson tweets, this tequila tastes like my ex wants me to text her. That's yeah. <laughs> I think I've had that tequila. Thankfully, I I swore that went up. Um, uh, Housewife of Hell tweets: You know who doesn't care if I've showered and put on so-called real clothes? Tequila. That's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, Lady Lawyer says: Me, two tickets to Paradise, please. Guy, ma'am, this is a liquor store, not a travel agency. Me, okay, two bottles of tequila, then. Thank you. Guy, have a nice trip. Um, and uh, there's a couple of others here. Oh, tequila mixed with Gatorade is still a margarita, right? <laughs> From Steve Olivas. Um, uh, and then uh, tequila is my scapegoat. Um, and then um, looking to see if there's anything else I need to share here. Um, <laughs> Just Linda tweets, they need to put warning labels on tequila that say "danger, do not mix with midlife crisis." So, so, that, so those are pretty good. I thought I thought they were thought they were worth sharing at least. So, uh, we are doing smoking and toasting live today, by the way, uh, from Stogies, world class cigars. Stogies is one of our most favorite places in the world. And uh, thanks to uh, Jorge and the gang for allowing us to come and set up and do the show here. We appreciate uh, we appreciate that, and we appreciate their store. And uh, all the stuff that they do, and Jorge's just one of those guys that's and the remote lighting that yeah, is so, just so the lighting wasn't quite uh, uh, bright enough in here. So Alan texts Jorge, and Jorge on his phone adjusts who is like uh, like fifty miles away. Yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on his phone adjusts the lighting. I love it. That's pretty amazing. Hmm. So um, let's talk my father's cigars just a little bit. What? Other than the quality of the cigars, which is, you know, obviously something that is pretty much universally agreed on out there. The reviews have been fantastic. Anytime you talk to a cigar people about my father, the, the you know, the conversation's always in the superlatives. But beyond just the quality, what was it that made this brand blow up over the last, what has it been, seven, eight years that really it's, it's come on so strong as a brand? It's come on really strong on the brand over the last 10 years. But okay. I mean, it really exploded in 2012. Um, I've been with the company, or my family's been with the company uh, since, their, since their initiation, since mm-hmm. they uh, came out in 2003. So we've been along for the ride the entire way. Um, I, I, I believe that Papang and his family, uh, Jaime and, and Yanni, his daughter, that they, they absolutely 100% 
dedicate all of their attention to the quality of the cigar. As Dom Ping will say, we may not be the best cigar in the world, but there's no one better. And I like that. And there are, there are things that I think have contributed to their success. And, and I'll tell you that there's, there's four things I'd like to tell retailers and consumers at events. And one, they're a vertically integrated company, so they have 100% control over all their production and the quality and the Which, pricing. If you can do that, it's great. Not everybody can, you know, can pull that There's off. There's very few companies that are vertically integrated. And by my definition of vertically integrated, it means that they grow and use at least 51% of their own tobacco mm-hmm. in, their, in their blends, that they blend and manufacture their own cigars, and that they distribute directly to the, to the retailers. So there's only a handful of those, and my father and actually La Galera are, are two of them. So my father's cigars grows all of their fillers and all their fillers and all their binders. On the binders, we put two binders on every single cigar. And what's, that, what's the reasoning behind that? You mean as in what was the reasoning that they decided to do that? Yeah. I don't know, but I'll give you my best guess. Okay. Don Ping spent 40 years in Cuba. As a master blender and roller, very famous there. If there's an award that could be won, he pretty much won that award there. When he came here to the United States and set up his small factory in Miami, he went into making cigars the only way he knew how, which was the Cuban way. And immediately they started to take off. In Cuba, in the premium uh, cigars, they always use two binders. And they have a certain way of putting the binders on that reinforces or exponentially increases the strength that they provide to the structural integrity of the cigar. Mm -hmm. So my best guess is... He did it because he didn't know that other people don't do it that way. <laughs> Makes sense. And, and I'm actually a person who f- first discovered this. Um, I think they were introducing, well, they were introducing a cigar to us, and they mentioned the two binders on the cigar. And I raised my hand at the sales meeting and said, are you guys putting two binders on this cigar? That's pretty cool. And they looked back at me and said, Jason, so we, do it on all of them. we do it on all of our cigars. I was waiting for the duh at the end of that <laughs> sentence, but it didn't happen. And, and nobody in the, in the group that I knew that they were doing that and to me that was a very marketable aspect of the cigar um, when they put the cigars on they cross the veins so they form a mesh now the binder is a backbone of a cigar everyone right. gives too much credit to a wrapper leaf and that's sure. that is a very important leaf of course but the binder is what holds it together that's what keeps it from popping or splitting and then it has the you know burn right use it controls your, the burn, burn yeah, everything yeah. so it's an underappreciated leaf but when you put two binders on the same cigar and you cross the veins that way, you form a mesh. So it's, it's more than just doubling the, the structural integrity of the cigar. It's exponentially increasing the structural integrity of the cigar. In addition, those two leaves are always different. They're never the same. Maybe a Corojo, maybe a Criollo. It doesn't matter. They're always different. So in addition to the structural integrity that they enhance, that greatly enhances the flavor, the body, the strength of the cigar. Right. Now, the, the largest amount of flavor comes from the wrapper leaf, but it's worth noting that the binder is going to provide a lot more flavor than all of the filler combined. Would that be accurate? Oh, he's making, I'm have, he's making a face. Yeah. I'm going to have an no, no, issue I, with your, right, your, initial, right, your initial statement. The wrapper leaf is important, but I look at the tobacco as, as, a, as a jazz ensemble. Sometimes there's more horns. Sometimes there's more drums. Whatever it is, it, it varies from song to song. And in the blend of a cigar, you can have a very powerful wrapper leaf that does contribute the majority of the flavor mm-hmm. to a cigar. But you can also have a very thin wrapper leaf that doesn't contribute anything. Or you can have filler that overpowers even a strong wrapper leaf. It really, I think that's a misconception. Would that be like having an obnoxious drummer? Yes, someone who doesn't know when to quit. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. What would you know about obnoxious drummers? <laughs> well, they're drummers. This, yeah. is my, this is my opinion. I'm sure people have it, take issue with it, but... 
all of the leaves are, are important to the blend. But the leaf that's most important to the structure of the cigar is going to be that binder. And having two binders, I think, puts us ahead of anyone else. And um, to my knowledge, I'm not aware of any other company that does that. Well, I will say this. If, if the jazz ensemble rule holds, uh, then what I'm smoking here, I'm just going to refer to as Miles Runs the Voodoo Down. Because this <laughs> is, it's so complex. And it's got to be... That's got to be something that really adds to the complexity of the cigar. The fact that I'm not getting just one thing coming through here, but I'm getting something that not only is challenging me to identify the different flavors and, and aromas that are there, but also is changing as the cigar smokes and isn't, isn't the same in the second, third as it is in the first and so on. And I've had some great cigars that have been pretty consistent all the way through in terms of flavor. But this is definitely one of the ones, for me at least, and I'm smoking the Judge, um, my father the Likewise. Judge. Likewise. Uh, this is one, to me, that it, it really kind of evolves as it smokes. Would you agree with that? Oh, yes. That's why I love this cigar. It's, it's a smoother body than, than a lot of the Dalma Ping cigars. They mm-hmm. tend to be bold. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a smoother cigar. It's very soft on its, on its body, kind of Agreed. real smoothed out. And as it progresses through the smoke... It kind of builds up to the back end of the cigar. You get rewarded with a, a, a greater strength than you started with yes. and, and more flavor on the back end of that cigar. So it does have that wonderful transition. So it's not a boring or one-dimensional kind of cigar. Well, I started off with a cigar, the uh, La Opulencia, which is a little bit stronger in body Wait, overall. What, is it, what does that mean? That's uh, Spanish for the Opulencia. Okay, gotcha. Very good. Yes. Very good. Uh, they, I, hey, man, I, I can get around. You know. <laughs> Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you there. <laughs> so, no, but, but what's interesting about a cigar that's strong, a lot of times you get a strong cigar, and I like strong cigars. Um, uh, a lot of times you get a strong cigar, and they can be one-dimensional, which is okay as long as it's a good dimension as to long be as in. It's but dimension these you tend like, to right? be a little more on the uh, complex side. They have a little more going on, which is, I think, probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think probably a little tougher to do the stronger the cigar gets to make it more complex. I think so. I think that a lot of people overpower cigars, um, try to pull too much body in them and that, and that the body which is hard to describe exactly you know the, the definition of what body is right. but it's really a combination of all the flavor and the, and the smoke mm-hmm. and, and all of that in there when you get too much it overpowers and clouds the the flavors you're getting in a cigar i think don Paping is excellent at maintaining a nice full body in their cigar and strengthen their cigar without overpowering the flavors letting it letting them come out to you see i think yeah. body when you talk about that my my best way to describe that would be like that's kind of the middle of the palate you know, does it have a nice big fullness to the flavor overall, or do you just taste it up front and kind of on the aftertaste? Uh, the body is that middle of the palate that, that you go, okay, that's a very satisfying mouthful, so to speak. Right. Well, if you want to taste the flavor in a cigar, it's very important that you retrohale a cigar. Mm-hmm. Right. So all your listeners out there who are not currently retrohaling cigars, teach yourself how to do that. All right, so I'll tell you what we'll do. When we come back in our next segment, I'm going to have you give us a uh, demonstration of how to do the retrohale. Done. <laughs> All right, we'll do that. Uh, we'll do that in the next segment. In this one, though, I want to divert us now to the aforementioned uh, Shiner Bohemian Black Lager. And you were talking in the last segment and in the break, Jason, about uh, about your familiarity with this from back when it was first introduced. And it does say what ninety seven on the label. That doesn't mean it came out in ninety seven. So it was their ninety seventh year. Um, <laughs> Uh, they like I said, they put out uh, a series counting down to their 100th mm-hmm. anniversary, which was 2009, and uh, their 97th uh, uh, 
year they uh, released this one, and I guess it was popular enough that it became one of their core line. I actually have uh, a bunch of stuff written on the back of this. Here in Shiner, Texas, population 2,069. <laughs> I wonder if they update that if somebody <laughs> moves away. <laughs> We've been handcrafting beer since 1909. The passion of our original brewmaster, uh, Cosmo Spotzel, Spotzel, this is Spetzel. Yep. This is hard to read. Hold on. Yeah, it's it's you know it's you it's, it's printed in gray on black. So I'll I'll shine a light on it later. How's uh, that? Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Well, I will just say one of the things that I like best, and certainly I've had this lager before. Um, I, I really enjoy this and several other great black lagers. The Rar Ugly Pug comes to mind. Uh, because they do pair really well with cigars. Yes. And as much as I love my IPAs, generally my drinking an IPA does not happen at the same time as smoking a cigar because so many of them, the the hot bitterness really messes with your ability to enjoy the complexity of the cigar. Um, but this one, to me, is in a way more like a, a heavier beer like a stout or a barley wine or something. Uh, gives you... Gives you some of that underlying um, maltiness that can really enhance the cigar, at um, least for me. On the back end of this, though, they uh, they hopped it enough to where it, it finishes with a little of that hop snap. So it's mm-hmm. it's like having it's like having uh, you know Guinness uh, extra stout kind of has the same kind of finish that this Agreed. has. Yes, um, and even though it's a vastly different beer, this does not have a big full uh, mouthfeel to it. This is uh, a little bit lighter on the palate as far as the mouthfeel goes but the flavor is all body and it's all there now jason you mentioned during the break you had a story in uh, involving or surrounding the bohemian black lager well i did uh, i do i mean <laughs> when um i was on the road i found myself with an afternoon free in, from san antonio and i had never visited or paid a pilgrimage to shiner texas and i mentioned to you guys before the show started that shiner bach got me through college right. i should have had a degree in shiner bach but <laughs> I decided to go out there and, and pay my pilgrimage, so I stopped at the city limit sign and basically crawled on my hands and knees the rest of the way all the way to the brewery. <laughs> uh, it was the year that they were releasing the anniversary, uh, the 97 anniversary cigar, so this was the anniversary cigar. It hadn't been released as a regular production yet, and I had a sample of it in the brewery, and I fell in love with it. And I said, I, I want to I have some of this. They said, we're sold out of it. We don't have any in the brewery at all. But they told me about a convenience store that was nearby that might have some. So I drove over to the convenience store and I cleaned them out of the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I do that because I had I did that because I had an upcoming Texas Independence Day party. I do an annual Texas appreciation party, usually on Independence Day. Nice. And so it's all things Texas. If it's not Texas, just leave it at the door and kind of thing. Don't come in with your New York Giants jersey, Stuart. <laughs> and don't bring your Coors Light beer in there. It's not gonna be welcome. Uh, that's great. So I brought this thinking it was gonna be good enough enough to last me for a while but i introduced it to my friends on that at that party and they also loved it so much they drank every last drop that i had and i had nothing i thought this is horrible they're sold out of it i'm never gonna see it again so i was so happy when it later came out as a regular as a regular black label yeah. And uh, you are absolutely correct that this goes great with cigars i really i haven't drank this in years uh just because um opposite you this was not one of my favorite ones uh, it's not that i don't like it it's fine it's a, it's a nice beer but it wasn't one of my favorite ones and i actually am just a big fan of the standard shiner bach 
Right. I just think that's a that's a, a great go to beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I've ever had this with a cigar. And now that I'm having it with a cigar, that's great. I want to get back to you talking about the retro hail a minute ago. So when you retro hail, this is when you breathe gently out of your nose uh, with the cigar smoke, and you pick up on a lot of flavors that way. I will tell you though. Uh, if you've never done this before, do it with a mild cigar first. Yeah, absolutely. Don't don't go grab you know the biggest. Don't start with a diesel. Yeah, don't start with a diesel and get a big mouthful and then just blow it out of your nose real fast because you will suffer for that. It burns a little bit initially, but after three or four times, it, you'll you'll be used to it again. Right. But you're enhancing. Uh, it was Christian Aroa who first introduced this to me when we were visiting his. Um, you were down there too when we were visiting his factory and i was brand new in the business i smoked cigars for many years but i was new in the business and i wasn't retrohaling and he pointed out that your nose has more senses for flavor than your mouth does you're leaving about 80 percent of the flavor in a cigar on the table when you're not retrohaling right so you really we talk about flavors and people go, i don't I, I don't get any of that well you're not getting it if you're not retrohaling you know, uh, beers, uh, whiskeys, and uh, and a lot of foods are the same way. Uh, and I'll when I'm trying a beer or when I'm trying a whiskey, and I'll coach people a lot of times if they're asking me, well, what, how do I try it? I'll always take a mouthful, swish it around, enjoy the flavor, and then after I swallow, gently breathe out of your nose. You pick up a lot of flavors that way, and cigars are no exception whatsoever. Absolutely. You know, that was one of the most... Um, enhancing the pieces of advice I'd ever received smoking cigars because it really did after that it changed every cigar changed for me way to appreciate it, it yeah. really did I didn't realize how much I was giving up on the cigars I what was I only would, really enjoying 20% of them what I would compare it to is if you've always had just sort of like a crappy to standard stereo and then one day you go out and buy some really really good stereo equipment and you go back and listen to some of your favorite songs favorite albums and you are able to appreciate things in them that you've never really heard before to me that's yes. that's, that's, that's kind of the uh, the way that the retro hell can can improve your uh, it's still the same music it's still as good mm-hmm. or or not as it once was but you're able to appreciate it on a much deeper level because of uh, because of your enhanced understanding of what that is so we'll have you walk us through how to do it Step by step. I don't know how to do you it. Don't know yeah, how to yeah, do yeah. it. I know that you you close you close your throat with the back of your tongue. You pull it in there, and then you just push it through your nose. Now you don't want to inhale the cigars. No, so you, no, no. You're not inhaling way, in your lungs at all. The best way I can tell you this is: you take your normal puff, and then you you gently and I usually it feels like almost like I'm pushing it with my tongue. You gently push it out through your nose as you exhale. Pull it into your mouth, and then just. Don't do not, inhale anymore. Just immediately start to exhale through your nose, mm-hmm. and it'll come right out. All right. I tell you what. You guys practice. We're going to take a break. <laughs> we come back. I want to talk uh, E.P. Carrillo a little bit. What's going on there, or at least as much as we're uh, allowed quiet. to talk about. Yeah, because I'm worried about Alan. He's been way too quiet so far in the show. No, you no. You feeling okay over there? I am doing great, but I have We're just been not on this... used to you on, no, the, uh, I, on, the, on the quiet. Tip. I have been on this show numerous times, thanks to my friendship with y'all, but y'all wanted Jason's here to talk about my father. Right. So in La Galera, and his, I, I will tell y'all one thing that I don't know if you knew or ask him the history of his family in cigars. I it was goes way back before actually. him because right. I actually met his dad long before I'd ever met him. I didn't meet Jason until I was managing a shop. 
but I had met his dad at certain events. And uh, even after his dad, his, his dad was in the industry for a long time and retired. And so after his dad retired, and now he is a regular at one of my favorite shops in Dallas. He's up at Kale's Place all the time. Moving, do not go in on movie night and talk. Rick, Rick Poehler will tell you, you need to be quiet. We're trying well, to watch a movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I was going to say, that, that's fairly consistent, actually, among any of the uh, cigar shops that do movie nights. Somebody will shut you down if you go in and talk during the movie. Of course, it depends on what the movie is, I guess. Well, you'll yeah. do that in any movie theater, too, <laughs> won't you? Right, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although, sometimes it can be fun when people are talking to the screen. Sometimes. Don't go in there! Don't go in there! <laughs> exactly. You don't know what's behind that door. Oh, uh, you're going to die. Uh, all right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back in the next segment. We'll be tasting uh, the Citra Drink from Levante uh, Brewing Company. It's a New England-style pale from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Uh, and more cigar talk. And uh, also, we'll try to get into this 30 beers that changed America. I think this is going to be a very interesting list. I'm interested in you guys' feedback on this. Have you looked at it already? I, I've glanced at it, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell you from memory what's on it, so uh, so we'll all be surprised together. Uh, coming back uh, in just a moment, it's Smoking and Toasting, brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant, 1814 Washington Ave in Houston, in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It is Smoking and Toasting. We are on show number 148, and uh, that's that's a lot of shows. It is a lot of shows. I'm serious. Like, I we're almost at our been... sesquicentennial. Uh, what, uh, what does that mean? That's 150. Oh, is, is that really what that means? Sesquicentennial? Well, actually, sesquicentennial, yeah, 150. You could say it, but can you spell it? Yeah. Sesquicentennial. <laughs> is that Spanish for something? Yeah, it's for the centennial. <laughs> you know, just about this time next year... It'll be a 200? 200. Mm-hmm. That will as be As much show. fun as 100 was, 200 kind of scares me. John, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't know you for the 100 oh, show. Jason, yeah. Uh, but uh, but it, was, it was an interesting thing. We all got together uh, on a big, long balcony outside of a uh, building downtown overlooking uh, uh, Discovery Green. And we invited, now certainly everybody didn't make it, but we invited everyone who'd ever been on the show uh, in the first 99 episodes uh, to attend. And so we wound up with quite a few people and a show that was over four hours long. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a rotating. That sounded like a blast. Yeah. It was. It was a it rotating was, it door. Started out, out it started out intelligible and then devolved. Well, it, <laughs> was it that was, four hours of drinking as well? Drinking. Oh, yeah. oh that I can imagine. And it was, it was all pretty intelligible until Jeremiah Butler from B&B Butchers and Restaurant, our sponsor for the show, uh, and your Mark buddy, Nichols. Mark, yeah. who... Uh, is all about uh, beverage tap lines because that's mm-hmm. what he does for a living. Is consult and, and upgrade those. They got onto a, a, a complete conversation in the in the fourth hour. The show devolved to the point where if you didn't own a bar or manage a bar or a restaurant, there was really nothing. No idea for you. what was going yeah, on. Yeah, there was really nothing for you. <laughs> but it was uh, it was still pretty interesting. To, pretty interesting to hear about. So uh, we are uh, here with uh, Jason Poehler. Jason with. Uh, with uh, a, a couple of great brands, and uh, and certainly we've talked about my father. Uh, we'll we'll uh, move a little further here in a minute, but I wanted to uh, shift over to talk to Alan for just a minute because Alan, you uh, first of all, you you have been a guest on the show a number of times. In fact, I think now twice more than uh, I don't, I don't know than, than some guy named Chris Hart 
uh, who nobody cares about. Uh, but one of the shows that I really enjoyed was when you brought Jose Blanco from EP Korea. Oh, that was a great time. Onto the show, and well, he was so knowledgeable. I learned so much about cigars on that show. So from he him. he's actually Ho Chi's cousin, right? And between the two of them, they've forgotten more about tobacco than any of us will ever know. I believe it. So he was the senior vice president yes. of EPC Cigar Company, EP yes. Carrillo. Uh, but he is leaving E.P. Carrillo. He is. And I understand he's not the only one leaving E.P. Carrillo. No, I, I don't want to get into it too much. Um, I, I tendered my resignation yesterday. So, okay. Uh, I have uh, another opportunity. I will, uh, I'm going back under the retail side. Okay. And uh, I really enjoyed that a lot. I really enjoyed managing my, uh, my former shop. But uh, going to be going to business with, uh, with two gentlemen and... We'll be opening up a shop. I don't want to push too much right now, but uh, I'm sure that maybe the, the next time we talk about it, we might be doing this show from my shop, hopefully. Well, first of all, I'm, I'll consider that an invitation and we'll accept right now. Absolutely. Unless you're like, even if you are far away, we'll still, we'll still, <laughs> yes, it, it's all good. We'll make it. There. It's no further than y'all have ever gone. But before. I guess my biggest question for you then, other than ones that, you know, maybe wouldn't be appropriate to answer but uh, about what's going on at EP Carrillo because it does seem interesting that well, right, that in the year after they've had you know maybe the best publicity the number one rating in cigar aficionado cigar of the year 2018 for the encore uh, and then and then to see like that there's maybe a little shuffling going on I, seems interesting I don't know how much you can talk about or or how much you would to, to be honest not a lot um, but I, I will tell you I've talking talked with jose at length um it's uh, everybody or anyone that that is leaving or has left uh we we want to do it amicably um you know it's not no one just quit and walked out and said we're right. done uh, there's you know i i tended a resignation they accepted it uh jose did the uh uh same thing he is going on and doing something else and, and so I, are you he hasn't yeah i am as well he has uh, he's going to do a lot of traveling with his family um his son uh wants to go to legoland and they want to do disney and nice. so he's gonna he's gonna do a lot of traveling with the family the, the man lives on a plane anyway but uh his uh his my last day with ep Carrillo will be august 10th uh jose's last day with ep Carrillo will be august 31st and where he goes from there is anybody's guess but the one thing he has told me is he is not leaving the business so i i don't know honestly if he has um something already lined up or once he gets done traveling with his family then he'll go out and and do his thing um he hasn't made that uh public or told me or i you know i don't know if he's told ernesto or anyone else but well, uh, i do i do sure hope we could have another opportunity to have him on the show because it he, was it was really a great he show. has told me that he'll be in houston again because he he knows what i'm doing with the shop Good. and um uh, so speaking of the shop i'm going to put you on the spot right now mm -hmm. will you carry nat sherman cigars in your shop no okay so now that you're freed from the uh uh from the position of of you know, I, and I know I don't want to say you were being politically correct, but I think you were trying to be kind to people that you respect that were in positions. That <laughs> it, it's it's not just that. Um, and and in the cigar industry, if you if you read any of the magazines, you read Cigar Aficionado, um, you read the majority of the major publications, you read the majority of the the bloggers. No one wants to shit on 
another company. Um, sure. We all want this industry to be positive. And if you start saying, oh, well, I give this cigar a 50 out of 100 possible points, everybody knows, oh, my gosh, that thing must be terrible. And no one, no one wants to do that. I'm sure there are some ratings like that. I'm sure Cigar Aficionado and Cigar Snob and some of these other uh, companies have, have smoked a cigar and they're like, whoa, I got through a quarter inch and I can't touch it. Um, and they don't, they don't want to, to, to put anybody down. They want everything in this industry. We're already going through enough headaches as it is with the FDA and, the, and all the raising of the age through mm-hmm. states across the country and cities across the country as well and as – And outright bans of tobacco yeah, sales no, in no, some cities. You, know, you look at Beverly Hills. You will not be able, unless you're part of the, the big lounge there that all the, all the top – celebrities and stuff are a part of you won't be able to sell tobacco there and that's that's becoming more and more prevalent and it's really really sad yeah, um, it really is. that makes me want to lobby for a wall not on the mexican border but on the california border so we can keep all those crazy ideas over there <laughs> <laughs> i i 100 agree i'm just trying to figure out and i have no issue in fact i'm i'm for the legalization of marijuana but that said why is it that we're taking marijuana and making it easier to get, more legal to buy, less uh, less of a penalty in the states that haven't legalized it. In other words, we're relaxing all of that, and yet cigars, which don't have, you know, the same kind of issues potentially in terms of intoxication, at least, like they're becoming more and more outlawed. It just makes no sense to me. I don't support more restrictions on pot, but it just seems like well, such a such a dichotomy. We've you know? talked about the, the ridiculousness of it all. Yeah, we've talked about the ridiculousness of you will get a ticket if you're in California standing on a street smoking a cigar, but if you're standing next to the guy smoking a cigar, smoking uh, a joint. smoking a joint, he'll you won't get looked and, at twice. He'll stand there and watch you get your ticket. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's it's, amazing to me, and, and and I'm not saying that. You should get a ticket for smoking that joint because, uh, again, on that whole issue, uh, you know, I don't care. Um, but why is it that the cigar is so offensive? Yeah, I, I don't understand it. I don't know that. I think this is one of those classic follow the money scenarios. Yeah. So I, mean, I saw a report about the uh, economic impact of the marijuana industry in Cal- Colorado alone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember the exact number. It, I think there was, a, the there was the a billion and there was a six in it. So let's just go low and say $6 billion economic impact i think it was closer it was like 60 billion but our whole industry the whole national industry is less than yeah. that impact that colorado alone got so yeah. there's a lot of money in it for the state yeah. of colorado sure Makes we sense. are small fries we're a very yeah. small cottage industry we don't well, have those kind of rich friends the whole yep. thing with the nat sherman debate which we've talked about a lot here on the show um nat sherman is owned by the company that basically sent out uh, the tobacco company that basically sent out uh, a, a letter saying they approved of these pending uh, FDA regulations on the industry. And that's what we were saying. Well, okay, you can do that if you want. And I realize Nat Chairman is a tiny, tiny piece of your entire catalog. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to buy your product. Why would I buy product from someone that's trying to encourage further regulation on uh, an industry that has already regulated plenty? Uh, it makes no sense to me. Overregulated, so, so, uh, overregulated, and and I would, I would just simply take those dollars and I would give them to companies that 
are not for this regulation because it well, makes no sense. I am super glad that the government is there to tell me what I can and can't do because I'm certainly not <laughs> smart enough to make decisions on my own. Yeah, as an adult, uh, right? Know? Why would we? Why would we allow you to do that? Either? Like that's uh, yeah, it's yeah. true, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I I think we should lobby for more control. Uh, this is House Bill number forty two seventeen. What Ian is allowed to eat, drink, and smoke. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And that's. Uh, that's going to be what it is. And it should be whatever you as a grown adult wants. Um, Ian, I want to taste the Citra drink. So why don't you uh, I will facilitate pop that this. bad boy open and facilitate it for me. While you're uh, doing that, I will mention that <laughs> every week when I'm like <clears throat> looking over things for us to talk about on the show, every week there's another one. Another celebrity, recording artist, band releasing a beer or a whiskey or something uh this week it's a band i actually really like chevelle is releasing a craft beer yeah i i i've been to i don't know see these guys went to see these guys last year chevelle is that a car it's it's a car but it's also a band (laughs) i I don't know we'll see uh, it's not that i'm i'm the craft beer that i'm worried about i'm worried about you liking chevelle Oh come on oh i'm just teasing you i'm just what are you talking about I, i went to the show i love it i mean look they're not they're not innovators. They're just fun to listen to. I'm totally teasing. All right. Fair enough. I'll pass the uh, citra drink around. Uh, Chevelle is uh, releasing a classic German style Helles lager that they're doing in collaboration with Revolution Brewing out of Chicago. Uh, and the beer will be called La Gorgola, which is also the name of one of their songs. And um, it's, you know, I- I'm sure it'll be good. I mean, if a band or an artist is releasing something in conjunction with a company, that essentially makes good quality stuff. I, I, I that it, it becomes hard for me to try to figure out how I feel about it. Right. You know what I mean? You know, I don't think a band uh, putting their brand name and a band is a brand name. You know, a popular band is a brand name, of course, and yeah. that's all there is to it. Putting their band name Bob on a Dillard's product, a brand name, right? Uh, on a product is inherently a bad thing. The problem comes in when the band does that with a bad product. Or they don't know about the product. They're not, they're not involved with the product. Well, the Metallica um, Blackened is a very good whiskey. Yeah, well, when you go out and get Dave Pickerel to make your whiskey, it's going to be it's pretty gonna good. It's going to be good. Whiskey, yeah. I mean, like, come on. So, uh, so it's not the issue that the band has put out something with their name on it. The issue is, are they doing it because they like the product and they want their product to have that name on it? Or are they doing it because they just think they'll sell the product and make some money? That's where the problem comes in. Because if they're doing it as just a sales thing, it's probably a crap product you know right i mean there's there's a lot of those that have come out that are just crappy and they're selling it because somebody's name is on it well the kardashian shake weight you talking about that <laughs> 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 that's great that's great now m&m's doing a cigar with drew estates i can see that uh he's already done one yeah well that's what i mean yeah he's done one before yeah. he's doing a second right he's doing it. so shady yeah that's what it is <laughs> that it makes sense. Is it an asset cigar it was an undercrown. It was oh. a. It was an undercrown shady. shady. I think they just released it in Detroit the first time. It's oh. two or three years ago. Just a local release in Detroit. I believe it was. I believe okay, it that's was. why I don't know about it. Yeah. Interesting though, to see more and more of this going on. I guess. I mean, you guys are on the, you know, are on the sales side of the cigar thing. Is it? Is it more and more difficult to break through now with just a good product? In other words, is a good product enough, or or does it take something else to get noticed, to get on the shelves? Um, oh, it takes more. Yeah. Okay. There, this industry is in a golden age right now. It is full of just wonderful cigars. 
So you have to raise yourself above a level of the others somehow, and I think that's through marketing. Right. That is through marketing, uh, branding your product properly and uh, presenting it properly in the stores and pricing it right. All the, all the different P's of marketing. You've got to do that correctly. And you have to be a well-managed company as well. You have to be able to. Uh, there are a lot meet of companies the out there. If the if the demand goes up. Yes, there are companies out there who make wonderful blends, but then appear to wake up every morning and tie their own shoelaces together. <laughs> so, they they never reach their full potential. Mm-hmm. I I'll say that I believe if you have a really well-run company, and you have a good cigar, not the greatest cigar, but you have a good cigar, you're going to go farther than if you have a great cigar but a poorly run company. Yep. Well, yeah, sure. That makes yep. that makes sense. Well, you saw firsthand at DP Carrillo sure. the difference in. I'm going to guess your entire line sales when Encore got the number one rating for 2018 in Cigar Ab- Aficionado. Absolutely. Uh, How'd that feel? I've, I've been through that a few times they, myself. Yeah, they they they. You know, I'm 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 buying a house with uh, with, with Encore, but you know, and 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 uh, Jason's done it twice. Labige, you got it a couple of years ago, and then. And then uh, Florida Las Antilles got it before that. They've had, I don't know how many of my fathers have been on the top ten over the last oh 20 my gosh. years. Yeah. No over the years, I've worked with companies and, and sold cigars to these retailers that ended up in a number one spot. I'm not counting Cubans here. I think it's now, I think it's six times that I've had a number one. Whether it's That's a, Alec Bradley Pensado, the aging room, which was number two, but I don't count the number one as a Cuban. Number one in America. Uh, the Florida Las Antilles, the, 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 the Le Beijoux. If you go to the other popular publications, we've also had the H2KCT that was number one in uh, Cigar Snob, also number 16 night. in mm-hmm. Aficionado, and the Judge, which we're smoking right now, right. was simultaneously number one in, what is it, Cigar and Spirits, Spirits. I think, and mm-hmm. also uh, number seven in Cigar Aficionado. And that changes things on the sales front, doesn't it? Oh, you bet it does. Yeah. And what's easier to sell than a number one cigar? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. You just point to it and say, you know that's a number one cigar. If you're, if you're a serious cigar smoker, you owe it to yourself to pick well, that cigar up and try it. it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I know for a fact because when Labiju got number one, I was one of those guys was managing a shop. I'm hitting refresh on Cigar Aficionado. And as soon as Labiju got it, I picked up the phone, called Jason. And he even, I think you told me that y'all had plenty of Labiju because they were expecting H2K to get it. So they had. That was their best guess. We really don't know. Yeah. They, we don't get yeah. a, 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 a memo Vince, from Cigar yeah. Fishnado right. or Cigar Snob or somebody. Yeah. Like, hey. like when you're going to uh, win the Grammy and they try really, really hard to get you to be there? Yeah. Yeah, that, you kind of know. Yeah. That, that was a nice consolation prize as Le Bijou was number one Cigar Fishnado, which they thought the H2K was going to be. That same year, the, uh, the H2KCT was number one in Cigar Snob. So my father's cigar had two number one had cigars in the same year. Yeah, the same well, year. And, the, and the bad thing about it is, first, them, of course, they don't tell the companies. But then when that comes out, the factories are shut down. They've shut down for, for Christmas. So there's, right. there's no calling 60 rollers hey guys, in to start on. rolling immediately. <laughs> so you've got to wait till they reopen a couple of weeks later That's, to ramp up production. That is something with Cigar Fish Not. I, I had something to do with ad revenue or whatever because it, it was years ago when the Florida Santias became number one. You know, the local retailer here, Ron Lesro, woke me up. He called me three times that morning. I was still asleep. <laughs> and I said, what the hell you want? Finally, he said, wake up, dumbass. You just got number one. That was in January. <laughs> that was in January, and everything was good to go. 
Um, but for some reason, since then, they moved the an- announcement before back to Christmas. mid-December. And with it being before Christmas, no one's no one's ordered heavy for Christmas on a particular cigar because we don't know. Right. So people can't can people come in to a retailer going, hey, I want to get a box of this for a Christmas present. Yeah, so does everybody else right. in the country. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, it's a, it's an interesting thing, and obviously, I think you're right. Cigar Aficionado is looking for the advertising dollars that probably come in that final uh, issue of the year. And, you know, that's probably their biggest uh, issue in terms of advertising. Yeah, so. because the, they release it online and then the issue doesn't come out till mid-January, towards right. late something January, like something that. like that. And, you, know, it, they're, you know, they're a smart company yeah. and they, they know what they're doing. It just doesn't help the retailers right. or the manufacturers a right. whole lot. Right. Uh, Ian, what can you tell us uh, from the can about the Citra drink? Uh, New England style pale. That's about all it tells you, huh? That's really it. Uh, Levante Brewing Company. Levant, Levante, L-E-V-A-N-T-E. Um, They're out of Westchester, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I know that's that. it. Uh, Pale that's, Ale 5. That's, point. that's part of New England? Uh, not really. <laughs> no. Not really. No, Pennsylvania is uh, below so, New so that's England. That's why it's a New England style. Yeah. That's why it's a New England style. Mm-hmm. But I will tell so, you from the nose, lots and lots of citrus. Yep. Obviously, it's got the citra hops in it, so that's a big reason, but they're... They're definitely staying true to that. That's um, a good summer beer right there. Mm. Very How refreshing you about it. I'm digging it. I'm so, digging it. Uh, it's I've, got. It, it doesn't have a lot of that, you know, um, trailing bitterness to it. It's good. There's a little bit there because right. of the hops, but uh, it's really kind of counteracted by the citrus, the grapefruit, um, maybe a little bit of, uh, maybe a little bit of like blood orange. I'm, I, I'm picking up a little bit of that, but I think that my cigar is crushing it a little bit. That, that could be. I, I mean, think, some things honestly, go together better. I, I, I'm that. not getting a lot of complexity out of it. I think my cigar, and in this case, I don't. I don't think it's the the liquid. I think it's the cigar is actually brutalizing the beer at this point in time because well, I am smoking a pretty big cigar. It's always a challenge when we do one of the live shows like we are here in the uh, cigar lounge at uh, at Stogie's in Houston. We do one of the live shows where we're having a cigar at the same time as the IPA. I've told you my my fridge is stocked with IPAs, but I don't have one when I'm having a cigar. If I'm well, having a beer, I'll go for someone else. Your cigar's else. been over for a little while. What I'm tasting in this, and, and, and I'm going to bounce this off you mm-hmm. since you're not actually currently smoking a cigar. Uh, what I'm tasting in this is this has a great uh, juicy, has some grapefruit and like blood orange kind of flavors right up front. It has a great uh, nose to it as well, but it doesn't yeah. have a lot of body in the in the middle of it. No, which it makes finishes, it more. You were saying more of almost like a summer beer. Yeah, like right. It, it, finishes like it finishes fairly light, pretty clean and pretty light, with a little little bit of bitter, which I, I kind of like. It doesn't have a big you know hoppy, um, and because it's New England style, it doesn't have that that resiny pine cone kind of right. thing going on. Uh, the mouth feels actually pretty good. I actually just expected more body in the flavor because of the mouth feel and everything else. But it's very drinkable. I think this is not a, a full-time um, production. I think it's a special, right. uh, a special and production. Right. Well, and the can is, is one where they have the stick-on label, so it's probably one of those, you know, hey, we'll make this and, and can it for a while. But speaking of, by the way, you remember uh, about eight, nine shows ago, I brought on the 5% tent. IPA from Spindle Tap. Yes, and we really liked it. Yes. It's it's low in uh, low in ABV, low in calories, but had a really good sort of a New mm-hmm. England IPA vibe to it. Uh, I was looking in, at the several of them that I had in my refrigerator that came from two six packs that had been purchased at separate times. One of them had the stick on label, but the newest one that I bought 
uh, was printed label, on the yeah. can, which made me excited that maybe this beer is going to <laughs> be stick like around regular, right, and nice. not be uh, not be a limited release because that's that's currently one of my go tos. But I like the citrus drink. I like it a lot. I think you know as the New England IPAs go, uh, or or this one's just a pale. But uh, I've had enough of them now that I'm starting to get a little pickier about the ones that I really, really love right. and the ones that I just go, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, and this one would fall into the category of ones that I, re- that I really like a lot. I, I feel like it's, it's, got, it's, it's different enough from some of the others and it's got enough of a, a sort of a, the thinner summer vibe to yeah. it that it doesn't necessarily feel like I'm drinking a milkshake. Well, yeah, you know? one, of, one of the things I kind of like about it, the, one of the interesting things about it is the mouthfeel is nice and big, so it's kind of a satisfying mouthfeel with, without being a huge flavor overall. Is this a wheat beer? It's kind of got that cloudy appearance of a wheat no, beer. No, yeah. New England-style IPAs are generally, are generally like yeah. a juicy or hazy IPA. Yeah, I, think it, I think it comes from the Citra Hops, and of course it is unfiltered. unfiltered yeah. So, yeah. So that gives it some of the hazier. Uh, in wheat beers, generally, you get a lot of the uh, banana esters in there and stuff, and this doesn't have okay. those flavors. This is there. delicious. I don't pick and up. And you're not an IPA guy. No, I am not. Nor am I. But the citrus on this, uh, I don't get as much of the blood orange as I do the grapefruit. It's and grapefruit's the dominant. Yeah. I'll tell you what. the I love that. Uh, and, and a summer beer, the, the ruby red, mm-hmm. I love that beer. Right. This well, is delicious. Well, I'm glad you like it. I'm glad you like it. All right, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. We will do, when we come back, 30 beers that changed America. Plus, we're going to switch it up and try something that should be uh, likely to go well with the cigars we're smoking. It's the uh, New Grove Martis Island 8-year-old tradition rum. So I'm, uh, I'm anxious to see how you guys nice. like this. Awesome. So, uh, so we'll do that when we come back. Smoking and Toasting, show number 148. We're all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. Our guests, Jason Poehler and Alan Denny, we'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting. We are the program that is all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars, and having fun talking about all three of those today. Our uh, sponsors, the guys that helped to make this possible, B&B Butchers and Restaurant, 1814 Washington Ave in Houston, and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth, Bacon, 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 and uh, we'll get back to more of that in just a moment. I was uh, checking out the uh, comments on uh, the Facebook feed. Bambi Beam says hello. Uh, Good afternoon, gentlemen. And our buddy uh, Wiki Brian uh, says, "I feel a review brewing, and I don't know really what that means. I don't know if, it, if <laughs> I'm not sure what part of if we've done something to uh, uh, to you know uh, antagonize uh, Brian, or and he was ready to blast <laughs> us with a bad review, or if he's you know feeling good about. What's I, I, going I would on. like to that give a shout out, especially to Brian and and uh, and Howard. Those guys are." Always watching yes, the show. Yes, like and every we appreciate week it. we click on, those two guys are like a rock. And Brian and totally keeps us honest by correcting us when we screw up. Everyone else out there, yeah, absolutely. And everyone else out there that uh, uh, tunes in, man, thank you so much. Share this out to your friends. Um, share it to the friends that you think are interested. Share it to the ones that you think uh, you know would have fun with it. Uh, hit like. We love that. Yeah, and uh, we appreciate, by the way, that you can find the show on. All kinds of the platforms. Obviously, the video version is on Facebook. The video version will also be on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. Uh, and then you can find the audio version 
you know, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play. Uh, it's also available on SoundCloud. You can get it through TuneIn and a number of other uh, other locations. I have not yet. Maybe maybe you should tell me whether I should do this or not. I've not yet made a deal with the devil and tried to get us on uh, the iHeartRadio platform. Not sure if I should or not. I, do, is iHeartRadio a thing still? Like. I'm not. I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to be mean about it. But like, it was a big thing for a while. Is it still? I, oh, well, I don't, I don't keep my finger on a, that, so I don't really know. As a streaming platform, they certainly don't have the clout of, uh, you know, uh, Apple Music or Spotify. Right, right. Um, and not because they haven't tried, because they force all of the broadcast radio stations they own to run what would amount to. I don't know, billions and billions of dollars worth of radio advertising if they were to pay for it to try to support that. But, um, but yeah, so it's actually amazing they haven't beat all competitors. But I just don't think it's as good a platform. That said, they've gotten very involved in the podcast front and, and are, you know, trying to bolster themselves right, in so that area. I, and I a lot of podcasts are on there. I don't so. know. I haven't really explored it. I think uh, years back uh, I, had a, I had an iPhone that had the iHeartRadio app already loaded on it. And um, and I think I tried it for a little bit, um, but I don't. I didn't get that far into it. So yeah. I actually subscribed to Google Play, which comes with uh, free commercials on or no uh, no commercials on YouTube, and that to me is is worth its weight in gold. Well, I started this company, and ultimately smoking and toasting, after I was fired three times by iHeartRadio, or or I still refer to them as Clear Channel. Yeah, that's Clear Channel. Channel. Clear Channel. Uh, and I always say I'm not. The smartest guy in the business, but I eventually learned. And after I was fired for the third time, I thought, maybe I should do something else. Work for yourself. Yeah, maybe I should. So, I don't know. The question is, does anybody out there listen to iHeartRadio? I don't don't know. know. Maybe you guys can comment in the... the, you know, in, in the comments section. I'm thinking based I, I, on your mastery of the Spanish language, you ought to be looking at Telemundo and Univision Ooh, platforms. that's a good... Noted. Oh, there's noted. an untapped mark, cigar-smoking market out there. Yeah. Speaking of the Spanish language, I am smoking a La Galera, which loosely translates to the Galera. Yes. <laughs> oh. Sorry, Hochi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, the gallery would be... Uh, you're, 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 all, you're right on, but the gallery, that's the room in which all the rolling happens, and all the sizes that uh, they... Selling the cigars the are named after something you will find in that room. The Chavetta is the Robusto size, for example. Mm-hmm. The Elector, the Toro. Tell me about what I'm smoking here. You're smoking uh, the La Galera 1936 box press. That is our most aged Beautiful. tobacco. It's a, it's a, it's it, the tobacco's aged longer, and after it's rolled, we season it longer to let the the, the, the tobaccos marry the oils, the, the blend, so you get smoother kind of uh, body on the cigar. But out of the uh, out of the four different blends, that's probably the strongest. So this is vastly different from the cigar I just smoked. However, it's different in interesting ways. It's uh, The smoke is big and full right off the bat on this. The initial light on this, which I'm still in, the initial light on this is incredibly smooth. Yeah, it's like There's very... no harshness to the initial light on this. A lot of cigars, even great cigars, will start off with a big peppery note or something that's a little on the harsher side compared to what the rest of the cigar is going to be. This one started off incredibly smooth right from the initial light. Mm-hmm. I will mention, by the way, still working on uh, my father, the judge, which went out on me when, during the last segment as we were doing some other things. I couldn't quite tend to it you as much as lot. I would want. Yeah, <laughs> so I've been told. Um, but uh, uh, one thing, and I've noticed this in other my father's cigars, by the way, zero relight penalty. Right. Really relights nicely and, and does Well, you mentioned that H2K uh, uh 
just earlier, and I actually was smoking one of those last night, and I got distracted, and I set it down. And I spoke outside, so I set it down, went inside, and I came back to it about an hour later, and I went, meh, and relayed it. No problem. Enjoyed the rest of the cigar. Because I, I, I set it down at about the halfway point, and it's one of the uh, box press, uh, what do you call the size? It's a, it's a, uh, it's a uh, uh, Toro? The long one. The Churchill-ish size. Mm-hmm. But box press, so maybe well, it's a, it would be the Toro. That, okay, that the Toro. particular cigar comes in either Chrono or Toro. Gotcha. Only. Okay, and it was, and it's a great cigar. I bought uh, me and a buddy of mine split a box of those, and then those have been great. Yeah, those are fantastic cigars. So. Lighter cigar for a Dombo Pink yeah. cigar, smoother, got a little touch of sweetness mm-hmm. in it. It's a wonderful blend. And the H2KCT name is actually just a code. That is a, you, a lot of people think it's a Connecticut wrapper, but it's actually Habano 2000 wrapper H2K. Okay, and the CT refers to where it's grown. Dombo Ping went to experiment with tobacco in Connecticut, and this that wrapper leaf on that cigar is the result of it. So that's an American-grown wrapper leaf. Nice. Okay. So it's a whole, I, I assumed it was a Connecticut, too, because yeah. it is on a lighter side, but it's yeah. a delicious cigar. It's a Habano 2000, Fantastic. but grown in Connecticut. Nice. Uh, I will mention that uh, Wiki Brian did clarify the review he was contemplating. Uh, he says, uh, we mentioned and have on those who no one cares about. No offense, Alan. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> so that would be that would be his reason for. Are you sure uh, he's not talking about me? <laughs> oh no no no! It's a running joke. He's talking about yes. me. Well, uh, we had. Uh, I've only read. I, I have no idea how many reviews have been written about the show. I've only read one third of one because that was all I could do without having to press the thing and see more. And I decided I'd read enough. But in that, uh, the guy was uh, was rather critical of the show. He said that we. Uh, uh, that we had those two guys on, or we kept talking about the who'd been on more, Alan or Chris, those two guys, he said, who nobody cares about. And so that's sort of become the the, the familiar refrain whenever the we have running gag one of our word. guys on. If, if you would so. like to have Chris and I on, uh, I'm sure Ian and Cruz can start a Patreon account, and we get you a bunch of Patreons to bring me and Chris on more regularly. Sure. Yeah. Sure. That'll work. I would love for <laughs> someone work. to pay me to get you guys on. That yeah, would be awesome. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Uh, so, 30 beers that uh, changed America. Uh, the list is on Thrillist, which uh, they, have some, they have some pretty interesting stuff on there from time to time. And they, uh, they give us this note at the beginning of the list that they've opted to include only beers that are currently brewed. With respect to some that have come and gone, they wanted you to be able to, uh, um, you know, to be able to find be able these to beers find them and try if you them. so desire. And, Ian, you were right on the money. The first one on the list is Yangling Lager. Nice. Uh, first brewed in 1829. Uh, the oldest... Operating brewery in America okay. is my understanding, mm-hmm. uh, and, and one of uh, the hardest to spell. <clears throat> they survived the Civil War and Prohibition, and uh, five generations later, it is still in the family. And I will tell you, from having lived in the Philadelphia area, what Yingling is just—you talk about Shiner Bach being ubiquitous here. I mean, Yingling is is that for sure in that area. A, a little harder and to find. Yingling Porter is outstanding. Yes, and uh, and they have a light that's very good too. If you're looking for a lighter beer. Interestingly enough, um, I, we were vacationing with a family, uh, family coming in from all over the country in Florida about a year and a half ago. And uh, when some of the guys found out you could get Yingling in Florida, they made a trip just to buy Yingling and came home with like, you know, a hundred Yinglings. Last time I drove to uh, New Orleans uh, from Houston, which is about a six-hour drive, uh, literally as soon as we got into. Uh, into Louisiana, we stopped at a convenience store and they had Yingling, yeah, and cans there all over the place. Yeah. One of the things I love about Louisiana 
is that it doesn't matter what kind of store it is. It is also a liquor store. It is also a liquor store, yeah. yes. Yeah. KB Toys has the you know a row of liquor behind the couch. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's why Toys R Us is coming back. They yeah, realize maybe. they're missing out on the liquor maybe. sales in Louisiana. <laughs> um, brewed in, 19, uh, in 1844 for the first time, Pabst Blue Ribbon also makes the list. Of 30 beers that change America. Is, is that because of the recent uh, hipster revelation? I think so. It says hipsters love craft everything. Uh, they <laughs> and, eat honey produced by bees room. in their own neighborhood. They <laughs> fawn over the knowledge of knowing exactly where their food came from. And for a while, champions of craft beer, it says, but craft beer is expensive and it's hard to make a living working part-time at a record store that only sells original seven inches. And so they turn to PB, PBR, a beer whose low price point and high irony level fits the mentality perfectly. And I will say, here in Texas, our own sort of Texas state version of that would be Lone Star. Sorry. Yes, yes. Yeah. and yeah. I've been known to hit back a few Lone Stars. Yeah. Uh, first brewed in 1858, Schlitz makes the list yep, as one of the 30 beers that changed America. Uh, so Schlitz was the first beer to be distributed in brown bottles, shielding them from the harmful sunlight and ensuring you know, better it's, taste. It's funny where the innovations come from in beer. Brown bottles would be a huge innovation. Right. Almost as huge as the Vortex neck. Remember, remember how that changed beer. <laughs> or the Blue Mountain that lets you know when it's cold. Yes, yeah. I'm wondering so if I, we'll find I this. I figured one. something out about the, the, uh, the cold-activated can. That is what we call an early warning system. If those, things, if those mountains start getting a little less blue... You better hurry up and drink it because it's not going to taste good. <laughs> Iron City beer makes the list. This is a uh, uh, one that changed the physiques of generations of Pennsylvanians. <laughs> I see light everywhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Coors is next on the list. First brewed in 1873. Wasn't the first beer to use the aluminum can, uh, but it was a uh, Hawaiian beer, Primo, that beat them to a punch. Uh, beat them to that punch a year earlier in 1958. But Coors did pioneer the idea of seamless recyclable cans and instituted the cash for cans program and of course you know that's pretty big they were the first and to my knowledge only to have so they were the ones blue. responsible for all those pop tops that cut our feet that's yes. the one yes. that's them, that's them. <laughs> remember, I remember those <laughs> i feel like a lot of our audience probably won't remember those i'm guessing you're probably right <laughs> showing my age here. budweiser makes the list first brewed in 1876 it could be argued they say that no other american beer has had an impact greater than Budweiser's. It's basically, and this is as good a description as I think I've ever read, the Ford Motor Company of beer. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I go, I, you know, when I was in, um, when I was in college, I'm going to say college because I wasn't drinking at all before I was in college, of course, because I was too young. Uh, I had a friend of mine that was such a big fan of Budweiser that he memorized that whole label and would get very drunk and yell out that whole thing that they have written on their banner. Yeah, well, it says here in this article... But his mom was proud. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it says here in the article, 20 years on, you still have that goddamn doobie-doobie-doo song in your head from the Penguin <laughs> ad, uh, which I think is good. But uh, actually, The Penguin ad was pretty funny. Yeah, it really was. Uh, actually, Budweiser was the first American beer to be pasteurized, which gave it a longer shelf life. It could be transported greater distances, and big I, beer was born. I believe also that they uh, helped a lot with uh, refrigeration technology because they wanted right. to deliver, like, refrigerated uh, rail cars. Well, I've lived They wanted all, to deliver their beer yep. cold. And I've lived all over the U.S. One of the places I lived for a while was St. Louis, and I found out that Budweiser located in St. Louis because the people who brewed Falstaff uh, had come 
they were German immigrants to uh-huh. the U.S., had come to the St. Louis area first and discovered that some of the natural caves that existed below the surface of the ground in that area were perfect for keeping beer cold. This is before... Uh, you know the widespread use of refrigeration, and uh, the Mr. Falsaf or whoever it was from the uh, it was Mr. Lemp actually was his name uh, sent a telegram or sent a cable back to his buddy August Bush the first or whatever back in uh, back in uh, Germany and said you got to come here and that's how Budweiser wound up locating and outliving Falstaff and becoming. You know the, the awesome. biggest beer in America. Uh, having lived in the uh, in the Baltimore area. As well, I'm also familiar with National Bohemian or Natty Bo, as it's called. Natty in the uh, have you had a Natty Bo before? It's been a long time. Yeah, that I have. yeah. It's it's not a great beer. I don't but think it's I've a had thing. it. It's a thing. Uh, it forever altered the beer landscape in 1943 because they became the first brewer to make their beer available in six packs. I did not know that. Uh, Narragansett uh, became a corporate sponsor for the Boston Red Sox and the Boston Braves back in uh, the earlier days, and they were the one of the first beers to use televised sports to sell to sell beer uh, to people, and that's one and of the an industry was born. That, yeah, that they make the list, and now it starts to get a little more interesting on the list. First brewed in 1896, Anchor Steam. Said, uh, you delicious. Know, you know, it, it is delicious. It still is delicious. And uh, their impact was, well, they're considered essentially what launched the craft beer movement, even though it didn't gain any real steam, pardon the pun, for, uh, for a few years outside of Anchor's brand themselves. Yeah, I know. It, w- it would be perfect. Uh, the next beer on the list is Miller Lite. They say if you look at the world before Miller Lite and now after, in 1974 when Miller Lite debuted, every single aspect of American beer changed, from composition to advertising to frat parties. The impact, they say, of light light beer and Miller can't be understated, um, and they predict that in 2027... Craft light beer will become a thing, all because of Miller Lite. And quite frankly, I think it's already becoming yeah, a thing. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't uh, Miller Lite, don't they own a copyright or a patent for the way light is spelled? The like L-I-T? No one else? Yeah. I believe that may be true. I will also tell you that on this show, when we did the light beer blind taste test, and we've done it twice, and Bud Light and Miller Lite were in both blind taste tests, light beer from Miller actually outscored uh, and was ranked higher than a lot of other I don't craftier uh, lights wow. that were available at the time. Like Miller Lite actually made everyone's top five list. That, Did you, you know. guys sell the eternal question, though? Yeah. Is it less filling or is it greater taste? <laughs> that mm. I can't tell you. It's definitely talk, less filling. You'll have to talk. <laughs> that's, definitely that, less that's filling. That's the man right there. Uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, first brewed in 1980. They didn't realize they were about to spawn a whole new style of beer. But when they set out to do a hop-heavy pale ale, uh, blasting it with an unheard of, at that time, amount of Cascade hops, the American fascination with heavily hop beers uh, began. And I will tell you, there's still nothing at all wrong with a good cold Sierra Nevada Sierra Nevada is good beer. It's very good. Samuel Adams Boston Lager, Absolutely. not surprisingly, makes the list. Uh, it says here, chances are you think Sam Adams is run by the Illuminati. Uh, it says, uh, <laughs> says, fact is, Jim Cook and company just came out. 
thumping their chest like they were the biggest brewery in the world, and that led to the path for the likes of Lagunitas, Sierra Nevada, and every other big name craft. Well, they had such a great same. ad campaign too with his, you know, I'm not a golden throated pitch mm-hmm. guy, right, right, blah blah blah. I mean, they were great, and and the beer is solid. Back like, in my broadcast radio days, had Jim Cook on mm-hmm. my show several times. One of the greatest guests. He just all he has to do is just start talking, and it's interesting. Right, right. Even if you don't like like beer, they I mean, put out a. a guy. I don't. I don't think they do it anymore. But for a while, they put out a beer that was a Noble Pills that was absolutely outstanding too. Mm-hmm. It was such a like. Sometimes they just put out those little jewels. And their New England IPA is really, yes. really good. Yes. Really, really good. Whitmer Hefeweizen, first brewed in yeah. uh, 1986, makes the list. Uh, they call Kurt and Bobby Widmer the two OGs of the Portland, Oregon craft scene. Uh, they were getting bigger, and uh, they needed to create a third beer to go along with their Weizen beer and their Alt beer, and they only had two fermenters, so they just decided not to filter the Weizen beer and serve it cloudy, and just like that, American-style Hefeweizen was born. Uh, and Widmer became one of the biggest craft breweries in the country because of it. And if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have Live Oak Hefeweizen, which is amazing. Which would be, and, and that's a Dallas area beer, isn't it? Live Oak? Yes. I believe that yeah. is. Yep. I live on Live Oak. Uh, oh. I live on Live Oak. There, there you go. Perfect. Uh, first brewed in 1988, Brooklyn Lager makes the uh, list. Uh, 88 was a banner year, they say, for the then young craft brewery movement with dozens of influential uh, micro brews. Uh, it says, as they're still referred to by your dad, uh, uh, kind of uh, coming into being for the first time. Uh, most of them led to lesser-known styles, but Brooklyn Lager was a real standout from that uh, from that particular time. Uh, first brewed in 1988. Along with that, uh, Deschutes Black Butte Porter, which mm-hmm. we have had on the show here. That is a really, really nothing fine wrong beer. with that. Yeah, uh, they uh, they kind of went the opposite path of the Brooklyn uh, brewery, which went with a lighter lager, uh, and they uh, you know these days it may. Sounds safe to launch a brewery with a porter front and center, but back in 1988, that wasn't quite so so well known. You find a porter in 1998 almost. Yes, right. Good luck. In 1992, Goose Island Bourbon County Stout was brewed for the first time. Um, So despite the fact that this brewery's been acquired and is owned by Anheuser-Busch and some of their beers are made in New Jersey and St. Louis and other places, the Bourbon County Stout remains... I think a beer. Well, icon. Bourbon County Stout was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first stout aged in uh, bourbon barrels. And yes, I that, believe that's that correct. changed the industry in ways like yeah. we still, that's a standard today. Everyone yeah. takes their stout and does bourbon barrels with them. And it says here in this, uh, in this list that despite the many imitators that have followed, that Goose Island Bourbon County Stout remains one of the finest examples of the form anywhere. There's no way to argue with that. AB and Bev acquisition notwithstanding. So, uh, yep. Uh, Which also explains, uh, they say, why Chicagoans who otherwise disdain Black Friday will cut out of Thanksgiving early to wait in sub-freezing weather for the annual release of the Bourbon County Stout. Uh, Blue Moon Belgian White makes the list. And I think that it should. It was first brewed on site. Uh, at uh, Coors Field. Uh, Blue Moon represents many things. For one, it was the moment that Big Beer blinked. 
they went craft or crafty yeah. uh, for the first time. And uh, for others, it represented, they say, a, a glimpse into the notion that beer could be different and that there was a whole world of beer in between just light and not. Well, light. I think that that's been an important gateway beer, I think so you're right. to speak, for a lot of people to go, oh, I can actually like something crafty or something that doesn't just taste like your macro brew. Well, that's know? right. And it's relatively easy to find. And it's and it's tasty. So, uh, I, but you're right. I know a lot of people who don't really get into experimenting with craft beers, but they will order and enjoy a Blue Moon if it's available. Yeah, that is my girlfriend's favorite beer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and my wife likes that beer too. It's like you find that that's the, as you said, Ian, a gateway beer. Uh, as my friend Dave likes to say, he enjoys Blue Moon because he really likes beer with produce in it. <laughs> I, I want to know your who, was, yeah, yeah, your fruits. who was the first person to decide, let's put a slice of orange on this glass. You know, know. There's a story behind that. That's off to them. They advertise that. It's there's an a, advertisement, There's a isn't story it? behind that. Mm -hmm. One of the guys that was, um, oh, I can't remember uh, where I read the story, but one of the guys that was uh, introducing it to bars, um, I guess he didn't have lemons or anything like that. He, they had orange, so he put an orange in and decided it was amazing. And I think I've heard that story. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. I think it was that, that was true. actually an on-the-spot innovation by one of the one of the representatives, and brilliant because that's the way it's that's the way it's expected to be sold. Now, yeah. I will tell you this: I'm not one that harms uh, limes or salt uh, in in the consuming of any beers. Uh, I just don't find that to be or tequila for that matter. or tequila. Yeah, but. I was at a bar um, a couple weeks ago. Me and my wife went up to um, Poison Girl, which is one of the uh, premier whiskey bars here in Houston now. And kind of a hipster spot. A bit of a hipster spot, but, man, uh, and um, it turns out I actually knew the uh, bartender up there. I forgot he had been working there. He used to work at Rudyard's years ago, which is a bar that I have played at and been regular at for years. Um, but this lady comes up to the bar next to me, and she orders two Coronas. And he goes, we don't have Corona." And she ordered something. I was like, we don't have that. And she goes, well, what do you have? And he points to the board. And she goes, okay, I'll take two Lone Stars. So he goes and gets two Lone Stars, comes back over, sets them down. And this is hilarious because she turns around and hands the guy she's with one of the Lone Stars. And then she looks over at the bartender and goes like this with her beer. She goes, and he looks at her with this blank look. He goes, what? She wanted it dressed. And she goes, can I get salt and a lime? And the look on his face, like, he was looking at her like, I don't understand this request. So he walks over and he salts it and lies it and hands it back to her. And he's like, good luck with that. I will admit, I will, I will float a lime that in is a Well, I will float a lime But that's a, a Mexican-style lager, not a right. Lone Star. Well, yeah, I wouldn't do it in a Lone Star. <laughs> like, Definitely not. That's, it's like putting ketchup on gyros or something. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> you could start a trend that way. Right? Uh, first brewed in 1995, Lagunitas IPA makes the list. Uh, Lagunitas mm -hmm. wasn't the first American brewery to brew an IPA. wasn't even the first California brewery to do it. But they may have kicked off the hops arms race uh, with this beer that was just uh, described here as impossibly bitter and aggressive with a 6.2% profile that said heads spinning. Uh, that is, to me, Lagunitas IPA is one of those that I almost always have in stock at That's, home. That one's iconic. It's just an iconic beer. Yeah. Uh, Victory Brewing out of uh, Pennsylvania makes the list, but they do it, interestingly enough, with their Prima Pilsner, which I think is interesting. I've had a number of Victory beers living, in the, living in the Philadelphia area, and this one didn't... I, I'm sure I've had it. It didn't really stick uh, in, in my mind, but they say that 
Pilsners are deceptively simple in their ingredients, but insanely difficult to master in execution. So um, that's why there wasn't a lot of American Pilsners being made. Um, it was basically left to the Czechs and the Germans, uh, and they were in the import section. But when uh, Victory delivered this as their flagship beer, they unwittingly threw down the gauntlet, and suddenly craft brewers all started trying their hand at the Pilsner game. Uh, we'll have to get that and taste it on the show, Ian, because I don't remember it. Yeah, I don't think I've had uh, that one. And, uh, yeah, I don't think you've had it. Uh, 1977, Stone Brewing brewed Arrogant Bastard for the first time. So good. The original pale. It put Stone on the map. Uh, well, the original pale... Uh, put Stone on the map, but they say it was the 1997 release of Arrogant Bastard that really kind of set their destiny into now, motion. Arrogant has, has the greatest uh, um, slogan on a can or a bottle ever. It says, you are not worthy. Yeah, Arrogant Bastard is a funny one because um, I remember uh, being in a band and me and my bass player liked craft beers and craft beers weren't. Uh, they were just coming into their own and uh, we were playing a gig in Beaumont, Texas and the bar we were playing at just happened to have Stone. They had, like, a bunch of other stuff, but they had Stone. And Stone only came in the Bombers. Yeah. And uh, so we both walked up to the bar, and we got a Bomber each. And after two of those, I think our singer came up and grumped at us for being a little too tipsy <laughs> before our gig. <laughs> but we've only had two beers. <laughs> um my uh, French pronunciation is not great, but the New Belgium La Foile, F-O-L-I-E, is that how you say that? La Folie, we'd say here in Texas. Uh, New Belgium had already gathered uh, quite a bit of a following thanks to Fat Tire, which debuted in uh, 1991. Which is fantastic. uh, And established them as a lifestyle brewery. But in 1997, they did the unthinkable, they say, by releasing uh, the La Foile. It's hard in this day of sours and farmhouses uh, to really convey how shockingly bizarre this beer was to people's palates when it came out. But it really began... Uh, a trend towards the sours and farmhouse ales that are well. The the companies that were putting out those uh, extreme styles, so to speak, mm-hmm. I think were really really ballsy in the fact that no one else was doing it. And they're like, well, we just go put it out there and see what people think. In 1999, at nearly 20 percent ABV, Dogfish Head's Worldwide Stout became a thing. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, it was named the strongest beer in the world when it was first brewed. Uh, 16 l- years later, of course, the ABV arms race has, uh, has probably surpassed it. But uh, um, it's, uh, as they say here, with legions of drinkers looking not at IBU or gravity, but a percentage mark next to the name of a beer. But, uh, but still, that's a, that's a very, very good beer. And we've said this many times on the show. We've never had a Dogfish Head product that we didn't think was just exceptional. One of those. Absolutely. Love that. Uh, um, so we're almost done with the list here. Oscar Blues Dale's Pale Ale, released in 2002. It wasn't the first craft beer to achieve availability in cans, but it was the first to do so and then become wildly popular. Uh, and it's a crisp, uh, hoppy beer, awakens the palate in all the best possible ways. And each year, more and more brewers now are putting their beer in cans as a cost-effective and environmentally friendly way to get their product out there. So, uh, Also on the list, Three Floyds, Dark Lord. I have not had this Haven't beer. I haven't had the Dark Lord. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think we can get Three Floyds here, mm-hmm. can we, in Texas? I don't think so. The Alchemist, Heady Topper. Uh, one of the best-known uh, New England IPAs kind of started the trend. First came out in 2003. Russian River's Pliny the Younger, which was the one that preceded Pliny the Elder, 
which now is uh, sort of the one. But they are, But since this list is about beers that change things, uh, Pliny the Younger was the one that they that they have uh, set the bar have identified yeah. and set the bar. Line and Kugel's Summer Shandy, released in two thousand and seven. That is a really enjoyable beer. And it's just fun to say line and Googles. And great you know, summer I, beer. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm not a fan of that one. Really? You don't no, like the summer that shandy? That one to me is, is too lemony. It's too... It tastes like perfume, like if you ask me. Okay. Uh, well, maybe <laughs> like lemon perfume. Maybe lemon. I was just maybe I was just in the mood for it the last time I had one, but it well, it just, just seemed really refreshing. That's just my well. flavor palate. I don't. I, I, most of the time, I steer away from shandies because they always taste a little too lemony. Well, I, I know you're a fan of the next one. First brewed in 2012, Founders All Day IPA. Yes, yeah, that's Founders just is great. Really started, I think, the sessionable IPA craze. Uh, Treehouse Julius is on the list. First brewed in 2012. I, I have one. not had that one. Athletic Brewing Company's Run Wild IPA is the final one on the list. And they uh, mentioned here because the alcohol content is low and the calories are low. It's the first sort of beer that makes a nod to, you know, it's a slightly healthier form of lower calorie. Absolutely. So I know that's a long list, but I thought it was really interesting. I'm shocked the Shiner Box is not on that list because well, it sure changed too. my life. It I had a too. profound well, effect on me. I think probably because it wasn't widely available outside of Texas initially, although now you can find yeah, Shiner Box just about anywhere. Isn't Bach a style of beer? It is. Yes. And although, do you know of any Bachs before Shiner Bach came well, out? The interesting thing is Shiner Bach is actually technically not a Bach. It's technically a brown lager. Is that correct? I'm not sure what the actual designation is. But. Yeah. But it is actually because they talk. We but talked see, about this. Shiner Bach is one of those beers that was a seasonal for them. Mm-hmm. So Bach just means basically stronger beer, and I think that's what they were going for. Stronger beer, but stronger it, flavor. Okay, strong, bigger flavor. Right. Um, not necessarily ABV, but bigger flavor. And it was one of their seasonals for a lot of years, and it became so popular that it be, that it actually beat out their core line. Right. Because the, shi- the regular Shiner beer. Was designed to be their core right. Beer. So they re-released their regular Shiner beer years later as Shiner Blonde, and now it's just Shiner. I can't remember what it's, which one it's called, but uh, Premium Shiner Classic, I think. Premium, Premium. I think it's Premium, but that's why you don't see Shiner Blonde anymore because that was, I think, their original thing, and then they changed the label to Shiner Premium. If I'm not mistaken, and that's still a pretty good beer too. Yeah, there's nothing really wrong with is. that. No, it really is. so. I would I would have had China on the list. I agree. Just I also would have had uh, I'm sorry. I think, I would have had the IPA from Harpoon on there as well. So just out of curiosity, what was the title of that article? Thirty beers that changed America. Okay. Because say, even though it's not made here, I would have thought Guinness would have been on that list. Well, I think that was probably why it wasn't because it was not an American made here. beer. But yeah. it changed. Well, there's no question. Yeah. yeah, there's no question. But I think all of all thirty of those beers were brewed. In America. Now, interestingly enough, I've not tasted it yet, but I've started to see the television ads for the Guinness Blonde that's brewed in Baltimore. And they're making a big deal out of the fact that it's brewed in Baltimore. Go ahead. Do you have something? No. Oh, so a couple years ago, Guinness started making an American-style lager, which is, I think, the uh, Blonde. And uh, and a few other beers, and I've tasted most of the other beers I've had, and they're good. They're good, solid yeah. beers. There's nothing wrong with that. And kudos to Guinness for saying, you know what, we're going to keep up with that craft industry, even though they're one of the oldest beers in existence. Uh, Wiki Brian, by the way, uh, uh, notes that Pliny the Younger is still the one. He says it's draft only, and people line up for it annually. So I guess you would have to 
have to be in that area to have uh, to have tasted it. It's. Uh, I tell you what, there is there is such a proliferation. We talked about this with cigars. There's such a proliferation now of craft beer that it's virtually impossible to stay on top of the trends. Even even just drinking the ones that are available, you know, if you go to a, a Specs. Like, there's no way you can keep up with with no. with all of that. No. I, I worried a little bit when we first started the show. Wow, what happens when we run out of new and interesting beers to try? Good that luck. That hasn't been our problem. No. <laughs> no. We may have had some issues, but that wasn't uh, that wasn't one of them. So, uh, so well, it kind of mirrors what was going on in the cigar industry so many years ago when there was a tremendous amount of craft cigars coming out, small batch stuff. Mm-hmm. People just wanted to, you know, I'm only making 100 boxes of this or 200 boxes of that. Um, that that actually just kind of was a precursor. It happened just before the the real beer craft craze yes. went off. So I felt f- sort of familiar with the beer craze when it came up because I was like, oh yeah, there's going to be a yeah. gazillion of them. You can't try them all. I think yeah. we'll see less of that because the new regulations, sure. unless unless premium cigars are exempted from that, which is still a possibility. We're hoping. Uh, we're hoping. Uh, but unless premium cigars are exempted from that, it, I think it makes it really hard. For new small batch craft blends to go, certainly it makes it hard on any of the smaller yeah. cigar companies, sure. uh, people that don't have huge financial backing. And to me, like you know, every politician that runs for office runs on you know small business. We've got to do more to improve small business, and yet it just makes me crazy that the regulations they seem to pass all favor big business yeah. instead so, of small. So start funny, crushing the small business. Funny something that happened yesterday. Um, I saw it on Facebook from several people as well as with myself. So when everything started happening and it was, hey, write to your senators, write to your congressmen, let them know what's going on, a bunch of people did that. And um, one of the – Ted Cruz, he responded back immediately, hey, if we can do anything, we will. He was very supportive of it. Um, but John Cornyn – never responded to anyone Hmm. and people wrote some of these letters two two and a half years ago well yesterday john cornyn's either office or whatever responded to a number of people now i don't know if he responded to everybody all at once but john cornyn's take on it was no the fda is doing it they're in charge of it uh if it ever comes to the senate i'll consider your opinion but he wanted nothing to do with guess Guess who I won't ever be voting yeah. for? You know? Guess who's coming up for re-election? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bad timing there, brother. Well, I will say, um, uh, and again, not to not to wade into politics, but you've got to respect what Marco Rubio has Absolutely. done to uh, to kind of put forth the uh, the idea that the I mean, he's gone so far as to say that Congress has to save the American cigar, cigar industry. industry. Yeah, which is. Uh, which is something I couldn't agree with more. All right, uh, I think most of us may have already taken a sip of the uh, of the rum, uh, Ian. You I think to, I started at uh, about beer number five when you were uh, <laughs> I think going so. through the list. Uh, so, talk to me about your feelings about the New Grove uh, Moritz Island eight year old tradition rum. I'm for it. <laughs> I can always count on you for the uh, for the big uh, expansive reviews, yeah, the, the in depth reviews, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I had a feeling you good. would like this because it has a bit of a bite to it. It's it, it's what I would call a, a whiskey drinker's rum. It, it does have a little bit of bite. It lets you know that you're drinking something here. Uh, but at the same time, the finish on it is so smooth. It is. And, it? and buttery. Like It has mm-hmm. a butteriness after the sweetness that really, really is super nice and really, really goes well with the cigar. I think that the... Um the fact that it was aged for as long as it was, it's, it's minimum of eight years, 
uh, from the rums in this blend. And I think that's a big part of where the smoothness comes from because that stuff seems to, generally speaking, the longer a rum has been aged, in my experience, the more you can expect that smoothness on the finish. You know, it's funny. One of one of our favorite people that's been on here before, Wade Woodard. Wade. Mm-hmm. Wade had a Facebook post. Go back and read it if you okay. get a chance. And it was about rums and age statements and right. how much shenanigans there oh, is listen, in rums. I, I'm a big, big fan of rum. I really believe it's going to be the next big spirit, and I think it's already seeing some kind of growth. But there are all kinds of prom, uh, problems uh, with the rum age statements, with rums that have additives that are not being... Um, um, you know, clearly, you know, talked about on the label, and I, I really find that that you have to be careful um, when selecting. You know, the bad news is sometimes when you select an inexpensive rum, what you're getting is not not what is advertised. Yes. The good news is that rum still remains, as a spirit, a very inexpensive spirit. So you can get a rum. For thirty dollars or forty dollars a bottle, that's probably the equivalent in terms of where it is on the quality scale of rums to maybe a sixty seventy dollar bottle of, uh, of bourbon, bourbon or, or whiskey. Yeah, yeah. At, le- at least that's my tequila opinion. does that too. <coughs> isn't, isn't the difference? There's the lower cost or lower quality rums that are for mixing. Well, and then there's the sipping yes. rums, just like there is in that's, tequila. Yeah, that's certainly some of it. The the uh, the less aged and the lower quality ones are great there's, for mixing, but uh, there's an argument for for uh, and I'm going to totally steal the tagline: better ingredients um, it makes a better drink. Uh, but there's there's also a diminishing returns on that as well. The higher end you use, of course, you can make your drink smoother and everything else. But at some point in time, you might be uh, not tasting the quality of the rum after sure. a when certain I, level. When I go, same thing a, happens with whiskey. Same sure, things happen sure. with. When I go into a Mexican restaurant and they're advertising that their, um, you know, that their margaritas are made with extra añejo uh, tequila, I generally don't buy them. Right. Because you don't need to make margaritas with extra añejo. But a reposado. A really reposado nice. would yes, be really very nice. Is is just about as nice as you need. Sometimes and a splash of gramenier. Yeah, mm, gramenier so or some naranja yeah. or uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you can you can really begin to make <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, yes, exactly. And it was National Tequila Day just yesterday, so. Uh, you and I will have a, a belated celebration. We'll again. have to do something about that. I think that. we will. All right. We're going to take another break. We still have a little more uh, cigar talk to do, and we still have to taste the Fremont Brewing Rusty Nail Barrel Age 2019 release, which I know you're looking forward totally to. Totally into that. Yep. Uh, and uh, what else have we not shared with you? Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll circle the wagons and be right back. It's uh, Smoking and Toasting, show number 148. Welcome back. Smoking and Toasting is uh, the program that's all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. We are brought to you by uh, B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. Uh, they also have BB Lemon and uh, a, a brand new uh, a bar opening soon in the Houston area. I can't wait to check that Jeremiah out. Jeremiah gave us a little bit of info on. And uh, so as soon as that all comes together, we'll definitely be doing a show from there. Oh, very nice. Now, Ian is opening our next uh, tasting here, which is the 
Fremont Brewing Rusty Nail Barrel Age 2019 release. While he is pouring, um, I want to ask some questions about the uh, the Polar Cigar family. <laughs> it's it's not Polar's not a name you traditionally associate with. You know, usually it's a it's a, a name that you would associate more with a. Uh, with Hispanic heritage, yeah. as Jorge but said, the Polar Dynasty. The Polar Dynasty. There you go. So, so your dad got the family started in cigars. Is that right? Yes, he started it around 1980 um, as an independent broker. Like Which would have been how many years before the boom? When was the boom? The boom 96. began in about it peaked in 96. Yeah. It started yeah. around 92 and and rose all the way up to 96, and it kind of crashed after 97. But he was in there, so he he knows the history of the cigar industry, and it was it was very different in the '80s than it is oh, today. Bet. The yeah. boom, we are still reaping the benefits of the boom. That was huge, no question. My father would go in a cigar shop, and they were small, and they had small humidors, and they primarily sold gifts and I, and other uh, items, and and uh, pipes and pipe tobacco was a much bigger. Uh, revenue generator than cigars were for them. And he sold a box of cigars in those days. He said it was a good visit. And if he sold two boxes, it was a great visit. If it was three boxes, he's calling my wa- my mom, and they're celebrating. Nice. It was a very different industry back then. But uh, the boom came along and really grew. He uh, needed some help and brought my brother Tom on in 1996. And Tom took to the business like a duck to water. He was very good at it. Um, they grew their business even further, and my brother Ryan joined in 1999. Um, after venturing out and trying my hand in the corporate world, I joined them in 2002 because at that point, my fa- in 2001, my father had gone in-house with Fuente, Arturo Fuente. But he, in that span of time, and, and since then, we've worked with a wide selection of the best makers of cigars. You know, we were talking Fuente. We, we introduced... So many companies to the market. Fuente, Lagoria Cubana, Oliva, Camacho, CAO, uh, Rocky Patel, Alec Bradley, Don Ping, Drew Estate, uh, Agonorsa Leaf. The list goes on and on and on that oh, we've had the say, ability to work with. Most of my favorite cigars. Yeah. E.P. Carrillo. Yeah. E.P. Carrillo, three times. Yeah. Three times. Yeah, Lagoria Cubana. Uh-huh. He, was his, uh, he was Ernesto's rep here when, they, when he was still making cigars in Miami. Uh, you go in some humidors, I'm meeting a new retailer and we walk through the humidor kind of explain what we've been doing for all these years we'll walk through and you know half the humidor might be represent you know might be cigars from companies that we help bring to the market in the first that's, place that's so of awesome. course as an independent you they get large enough and decide to go and house their own sales force sure. they get yeah. their own sales force so we don't get to benefit from that forever Right. But um, we're very proud of the companies we've worked with and extremely proud of the companies that we're working with right now. We have some fantastic companies. Uh, we talked a little bit about vertically integrated companies, which I think is the, the, really the, 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 the apex of the industry is when you have that kind of control over your production. And there's only a handful of companies that can really meet that definition I mentioned earlier. And we're working with four of them. Four of them. Then we have Aladino Cigars that Tom represents. We have mm-hmm. Agonor Salif that my brother Ryan represents. And I represent, again, La Gloria, uh, I'm sorry, La, La Galera and My Father Cigars, all vertically integrated companies that have that fantastic control and really, really good pricing because there's no middleman to jack up the prices on. Yeah, people. we we had so, such a good time when uh, your brother Tom got us invited down to Honduras to uh, the uh, uh, Aladino Cigars uh, factory and fields and it was just so great being able to see the business from seed 
two finished boxes of cigars. You'll never complain about the price of a cigar again after you've no. seen that, will you? Yeah, in oh, fact, it's amazing. In fact, yeah. you're amazing. amazed that you can buy a cigar for a, a great cigar for eight or nine dollars. Well, yeah, that's the reason. Ninety nine plus percent of the cigars we smoke in this country are made in Honduras, Nicaragua, or Dominican Republic. Right. We couldn't afford the cigars that we had to pay American labor. Right. So it's so many hands that the tobacco goes through. It's I've heard different numbers, but it's hundreds of hands. Well, it's, uh, uh, there was a, a cigar line called 300 Manos. There 300 hands, yeah. 300 hands that was made to represent that. It was the yeah. That's apparently what the amount of hands that it went through. Oh, when well, you go from the nursery yeah. to the field to the barn mm-hmm. to the pre-industry to the, to the sorting to the, the, the storing and, and aging to the rollers – finally to the boxes and into the stores there's a lot of people that are involved in making a cigar we enjoyed uh hanging out with your brother and one of the one of the most fun things about your brother and uh i'm noticing with you is talking about your family history in this you guys are so steeped in the cigar culture and it just comes so natural and talking about your family and their involvement is such a beautiful thing thank you we're very passionate about the cigar industry i've been an advocate for uh for standing up for our rights for a long, long time. I served a couple of years on the Texas Cigar Merchants Association board when we first started and have, uh, you know, always end, end up supporting, uh, trying trying to support the industry two ways with all my events. I wrap them up with uh, pu- two public service announcements. One is to support your local store and buy locally. Let's keep it, you know, keep your, your uh, shopping dollars in Houston and join the CRA. I think Alan Cigar mentioned right it a little, right, a little earlier. We have so many... So many issues that we're dealing with, it's unprecedented, the uh, challenges we have in this industry. And the consumers do have an avenue to get involved, and that's through the CRA, the Cigar Rights, of Asso- uh, Cigar Rights Association of America. It's a very small membership cost to get in. You will end up getting uh, some free goods from it, which will pretty much cover the costs of membership. But we need numbers, and we need dollars. These dollars go to, the, uh, go to uh, in trying to influence... I hate I hate the government comes down to dollars, but we have to have people. Uh, that's the reality. That we have to pay for to go and talk to these people and keep us abreast of the challenges that are going on, and the CRA does a very good job of that. The people that are supporting this unnecessary regulation have money and lobbyists, and if we don't respond in kind, right. we will lose this. And challenge. you can't have your general uh, day <laughs> job and still be out there lobbying like that. Uh, to the degree that that they're doing that, you have to actually have some people on the inside that are going in there, and that's, that's you know we haven't fought a statewide smoking ban in Texas since I want to say 2007 or 2009, and that's because of the hard work that the Texas Cigar Merchants Association and our international organization, formerly IPCPR, now the PCA, contributed greatly to that, and the manufacturers too. So we've had lobbyists in Austin who kept us abreast of things before they got out of hand and we were able to go down and have you know certain influence and, and help them understand what we do and how we enjoy the cigars better. A lot of this legislation, I'm convinced, comes from sheer ignorance. Yeah. People who do true. not yeah. understand what we do. Uh, we had a we had people a, who think that sixteen year olds are smoking premium cigars. Or or all cigars are twenty five dollars and up or all the right. people sitting in a store are gonna be wearing top hats or, or mafia bosses <laughs> or something like that. It's not that way at all. We're just—it's no, a very just egalitarian hobby no, that people joke. enjoy. Yeah. 
Yeah. One it day is. I'm going to ask you for a favor. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But, you know, the boom did a good job of really kind of rectifying that impression that people had right, of cigars. Making so, it more of an everyday uh, average person thing. Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't just Wall Street tycoons or crooked politicians or, or your mafia bosses who were smoking cigars. It was common people, everyday people who wanted to just sit back and, and relax with a cigar. And it's to me, it's the same thing as a woman or a group of women getting together over a bottle of Chardonnay. That's what... But this yes. is for guys. Yes, yes. It's well. we, 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 we commiserate, we, we, we laugh, we, we share together over cigars. And we I'd, should be left alone. I'd be curious, to if we went to Washington and went into every congressman, every senator's, every, uh, their, their uh, chief of staff's offices, how many humidors are sitting on a desk? I bet there's a ton of oh, them. Yeah. A lot of them. That's a great hope of mine. Of yeah. I think that when, now the FDA's moved the... The the was it the approval date to May, May of next year? Yeah. So yes. it's now the heat is on. We've been able to push this off, push this off. But now when we really have to make something happen, I think we're going to see a lot of movement. And some of these people may have to, you know, they're being forced to show their hand at some point. You, and when you start messing with somebody's personal, you know, uh, uh, favorite things to do, like smoke a cigar, I think they're going to stand up and say, you know what? This isn't necessary. FDA doesn't need to be messing with something that's 99% made in foreign countries in the first place. It's not addictive. You know, you don't inhale cigars that have, that have to enjoy them. Very it's, different from cigarettes and vaping. Yes. All that. Yes. Just, you know, it's it's impossible. I, I always say the FDA could put a team of people over a roller in Nicaragua, and he can roll a cigar, put it here, roll a second cigar, and put it there, and they're not going to be identical. Right, which is what so makes what, this whole approval process so tedious. It is impossible yes. for them. And plus, what business do we have of dictating... What uh, Nicaragua or Dominican Republic or Honduras are you know, doing in their countries. That's right. And how many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in those countries are employed by this industry? When we talk about this, I always like to make sure we tip our hat to a couple of people. One is Rocky Patel, who is tireless in his efforts to uh, oh. work this system to the best of his ability nationally on the federal level and to lobby for cigars. And the other is our friend uh, Trey Boring who works with the Cigar Rights of America. Mm -hmm. And uh, Trey actually is working. And Trey, I know I owe you a phone call. I apologize that I haven't done it yet. But they're working on an event, uh, if you're in the Houston area, that we will be a part of that is going to be, I believe, in late September uh, that is designed as a uh, fundraising event for Cigar Rights of America. And it's never been more important than it is now. It'll be a get-together. It'll be a, a smoke. Uh, and I believe it's going to be at B&B. So we'll, and, and, you know, we'll bring you the details. As a bonus, I mentioned that the two public service announcements, if you come to one of my events, if I'm going to La Galera or my father's cigar event or anybody else's event, when we're finished, and I make those two public service announcements, if you come with your uh, CRA card, you will get another free cigar from me. Nice. Just for being a member of the CRA, a current nice. member of the CRA. One of the... Uh, one of your favorite commenters, Brian, <laughs> just commented on here, and he, he made a valid point that no one has spoken about. The largest growing demographic for cigar smokers right now is women. That is women true. Women cigar smokers are, you see them in shops. You know, I can remember maybe seven, six, seven years ago, you wouldn't see a, a single woman that would come into a cigar shop and sit down. If you did, it wasn't very often. But now... It happens all the time. You've got more women owning cigar shops. You've got a lot of women as reps in the cigar industry, women that own cigar companies. And the women are some that need to get behind it, too, because women are just as passionate about their hobbies as we are. Absolutely. I had to get a second humidor for my wife's cigars. 
<laughs> well, that, that She's a keeper. Right there. I have one keeper. My wife right has one as well. That says it right there. You know, my um, wife's so funny because uh, she'll uh, be at a place and she'll smoke cigars. And she likes the smaller cigars generally, and especially if they come in a tin and you can put them in the purse. Like, she loves that uh, uh, that size of cigar. And, uh, and she ends up uh, buying, and these are premium hand-rolled cigars. We're not talking about, you know. Uh, the machine, the machine made, made yeah. cigars, but uh, and she'll always have people coming up and asking her, "Well, what are you smoking?" And she hands them out like, like, you know, here, try this, here, try this. And she's she ends up being such a proponent of here, have a cigar. It's an amazing thing. And the other thing about the whole cigar culture is, if you're out and about at a place and you see someone smoking a cigar and you're into cigars or not even that knowledgeable about cigars, go up and say, "Hey, what are you smoking?" Instant conversation. Absolutely. And if you do that to me, if you catch me out somewhere, I almost always have a few extras. Here, have a cigar. My dad told me uh, and a, a story about two people in a bar sitting next to each other at the bar smoking cigarettes. There's a damn good chance that they won't even talk to each other. Mm -hmm. You take two pipe smokers, you can put them at either end of the bar. There's a fair chance that they will end up talking to each yeah. other. But you take two cigar smokers at opposite ends of the entire bar, maybe even in different rooms. We're talking. They're going to talk. They're going to, yep. They're gonna, I, it's a very, very yeah. you know, if social I, If I walk hobby. past somebody sitting on a park bench having a cigar, I will stop and ask what they're smoking. Because I'm curious. Yeah. You know? It's, yep. a, it's, it's part of that. And we've talked about this repeatedly on the show about, you know, the sort of fraternity that exists when, you know, you go into a cigar lounge and there's guys sitting there from every walk of life every walk of life it's it's so awesome seeing that they're just hanging out they have the cigar in common and that's all it takes well yep. you know sitting here in the lounge i'm looking over right across from us there's four different guys maybe they know each other maybe they not i i, I see one of the gentlemen he's listening to everything we're saying <laughs> there's no telling how many and he hasn't over. thrown anything yeah, yet which yeah yeah so bonus. he's not so he's <laughs> not uh, disagreeing with us there's no telling how many are over there i know i've, I've sat in this lounge and talked to guys that were plumbers Right. I've sat in this lounge and talked to guys that were billionaire finance guys. Right. We all have a camaraderie that, that this brings us together, and, and we need to support it. Well, And I also love the diversity of the, of the cigar uh, community. Sure. There's uh, every – I've smoked cigars with so many different people from so many different ethnicities and backgrounds, and what an awesome opportunity to learn about – other people, other cultures, other ways of looking at life that that you wouldn't get if you weren't sitting and having a cigar with them. And, you know, that kind of understanding, to me, does more to, um, to eliminate or reduce racism than anything else that you could possibly well, have. Who doesn't economic differences, economic differences yeah. who educational differences? Who doesn't like to tell the story about the first cigar that they enjoyed? Right. Like... Every one of us has that story. I and forgot. <laughs> except for Jason. Every Did one you really? You don't, know the first, you don't remember the first I don't cigar? remember the first cigar. I remember the first one that made me go, whoa. Yeah, well, okay. see, close well, enough. That's, that's your yeah. story then. Yeah, and so, story. like, and people love to talk about that stuff. What are you smoking now? What have you been smoking? Oh, I used to smoke these, but they don't make them anymore, so I moved to these. You know, like, this is, this is a conversation that just starts happening, all, and it all starts with, hey, what are you smoking? Yep. You know. um, I noticed, by the way, Ian, while you were uh, talking about that, that Alan went for his second uh, cup, uh, second portion, second of research, the uh, uh, of yeah. the Fremont Endeavor. Brewing Rusty Nail Barrel Age 2019 release. There's not a lot of information on that bottle, but they do a uh, they do a special release every year. This is their 2019, 
and I believe that it's called Rusty Nail every year. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about that. But, uh, Ian, I know you've done some research. Talk to me, brother. I don't need the research. All I care about what's inside it. it is to, <laughs> man, well, that's what, that's what, research. what Ian refers to as research is basically while, I, the, while I tell everybody what the beer is, he drinks some. So, uh, it's, it, well, it's my job. Yes. It's my job. If I, have, I do this because you're talking. <laughs> so you're talking directly leads me to drinking. So um, <laughs> You're not the first person who was, said that. That did not you're sound. You're not the first person who said that. Uh, oh, you know, I mean that in the best way. Wow, so the, this is—I just took my first uh, bit of research here. Wow, this ah, is this is—it says the Rusty Nail Imperial Oatmeal Stout, brewed with licorice with cinnamon bark added, aged in uh, bourbon barrels. Um, this is outstanding. It's delicious. It has almost no carbonation. It's incredibly sweet. It's incredibly huge on the palate. Um, it finishes with a uh, with a cinnamon spice and a little bit of licorice and a and a little bit of uh, 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 like burnt caramel oh. bitterness. Yes, definitely the burnt yep. caramel. This is absolutely one of my favorite liquid today. This yep. is as as full flavored, not necessarily full bodied, although it is it is fairly big. Apparently, my is, description worked because Adam had to come get yeah, his. Yeah, it his is it is full. It. Full flavored for sure. There's so much yeah, going yeah. on the here. The only thing, the only thing for me that could have made this beer better, yeah. is drinking it around Christmas. Well, it does have a very oh, festive vibe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it does. I'm not. A, I don't have to have dark beers around Christmas and then light beers in the summer. Now, I don't either. But I just like. But no, stouts I, I, get, and, I get what you're saying. I honestly, and I'm I'm a part time pipe smoker, and uh, as much as I like this with the cigar, I would love to have this. With uh, with a nice aromatic uh, uh, bowl of pipe tobacco, a uh, nice Q one or one Q, whatever the you know, like a uh, like a Dan Tobacco's makes a Blue Note or um, or their uh, their vanilla one is so good. Um, it would go absolutely fantastic with this. Your thoughts on the rusty nail? Well, the first sip I took was I was not prepared for. It has all the flavor, <laughs> it's big. and the description I think is very accurate. When you mention the cinnamon, yes. I know the cinnamon, the caramel at the end of it, it's a very full flavor. And I, I understand where you're coming from. It's got that sort of a Yuletide yeah. kind of feel to it. Maybe uh, maybe there's even a touch of nutmeg-ishness to it. But it, uh, the body of it isn't quite as heavy, but it has this aftertaste quality that reminds me of nutmeg, uh, of uh, eggnog. With a, with a little bit of a, you know, bourbon or whatever mixed into oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm getting used to the um, the cigar with this. It's been an adjustment for me because this um, cigar, which was the second one that you gave me to try, this is the La Galera Maduro. This was so perfect with the rum. It was like they were born to be enjoyed together. together. Um, I'm adjusting now because the flavor of this beer is... So different from the rum, but it really, really, I think works well with that as uh, uh, as well. What do you think, uh, Ian, on your cigar with this? I know you mentioned the pipe. My tobacco, cigar, but. unfortunately, was just finished. Uh, what was left of the flavor of it in my mouth goes well. I will tell you, I tried the rum and then the beer back and forth. And how did that work? They do not go well together. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of <laughs> had the both feeling. Great, but they are not we, for each other. So we've had some cases where the beer that we're trying and the spirit really kind of enhance each yeah, other yeah. one way or the other or both and uh, yeah but i agree this is not one this is such a different flavor and that's why i was saying i had to kind of adjust with the cigar because right. my palate was really kind of tuned into what it was like to drink the rum and smoke the cigar 
and this has been very different. But I like it very much. It's it's as complex a beer as I've had in a very long time. This is it's a big beer. It's it's definitely what is the ABV on it? I didn't even look. Thirteen point nine. Well, there you go. It's a little boozy. Yeah, I'm surprised I brought yeah. that and not you. Right. <laughs> Except for if I brought it, there would be stuff floating in it. Yes, that's true. Chunks, which I'm you know still still adjusting to that. Well, um, so. Briefly, uh, as we get ready to uh, wrap up, Jason, um, my father, did you guys introduce uh, anything new at IPCPR this year? What do we have to look forward to uh, that's going to be new on shelves from you guys? It's on shelves now. It's called La Promesa. Uh, the backstory to that is it is an old uh, Cuban d- defunct label that they brought back, but it really, really is the fulfillment of the promise that Don Ping made to his family and friends before he left Cuba that I'm going to the United States. And I'll do everything I can to be successful in the cigar industry and bring you guys, you know, some pride. Some honor, yeah. And I think he, I, I think he's achieved that by, you I know, in his space. So, yes. So that's a, it's a, it's, he's not saying that he's arrived or he has nowhere else to go. He's saying that he's, he's come here and I think we can all agree he's been very successful in the business. He's helped to drive, I think, the Nicaraguan side of this uh, industry. Yeah, I think he's been a big proponent, big advocate for the uh, Nicaraguan tobaccos Which has and been cigars. the fastest growing um, uh, region as far as this is true as far as what's selling. True, and there are many great cigar companies that come out of Nicaragua, but he, you know, when we talk about growing all of his own tobacco, a lot of companies mix up different tobaccos. Though they're made in, I kind of think of it like a uh, you mentioned a Ford car earlier. Is it an American car because all the parts, you know, the engineering is German, the parts are. Are uh, from Japan, maybe, right, and, right. and it's manufactured in Mexico. In this case, it's we're talking really close to Nicaraguan pearls. Many of them are with his own wrapper leaf from his farms. Others may not. And they, we have San Andreas wrapper leaf. We have Ecuadorian uh, uh, broadleaf, etc. I mentioned the U.S. leaf that we have. But all of our binders and all of our fillers are 100% from his farms. That's great. So it's Nicaraguan, and I think that's a driving force. It's really brought uh, the, the Nicaraguan tobacco to the forefront in this industry dramatically, and he's been doing this for 16 years now. Um, do you have a favorite in the My Father line, your personal favorite? <sighs> well, I, two, maybe? I, I, you know, people ask me that question all the time, and there's two answers. One is, honestly, it depends. Uh, to me, a cigar should fit the time the, the, sure. in, in the moment. So uh, the cigars I like in the morning would be terrible for me in the evening and vice versa. I'm a, I kind of have a system that I follow. I start light in the morning. I kind of build up through body and, and strength, stair-stepping up. Um, but if I had to go to one cigar, I'm going to the electric chair, and I get one last cigar. I think it would be the Don Pupin Garcia JJ Series Toro. It's mm-hmm. always been my favorite. Good. It's fantastic really smoke. Really good, yes. For me, it's beautifully balanced. It's got just enough pepper flavor, which I like, without overdoing it. It's a, mm-hmm. just a wonderful cigar. And let me say, that is visually... A stunning cigar too. Like mm-hmm. that cigar is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they send us a box at Christmas, any any box we want, and they and I and every year cool. I ask for that box of cigars. Nice, nice. Uh, Alan Denny, um, I know you've hinted at uh, fun things to come. Anything else you want to add? No. All right. Nope. Well, nope. Uh, let me let me just ask you this: If I were to like be looking ahead on the smoking and toasting calendar, mm-hmm. when might I want to think about? Uh, uh, joining you for a live show at a new location sometime probably after August fifteenth. Oh, that, that sooner than I would have yeah, thought. Yeah, so so the uh, the gentleman that I'm uh, going to be working with, uh, they're they're full steam ahead. Good. Um, the the shop itself sits on Galveston Bay. It's on the water. 
Um, they're having a very large wraparound deck built on the on the uh, building on the back of the building, which sits on the water. So you'll be able to sit. Uh, I I don't know of a shop. Jason, correct me if you can think of one that literally sits on a bay or on a lake. I can't think of anybody. Galveston's going to be it, I think. Yeah. Uh, so there's a huge deck. Um, Moody Gardens is right behind us. You'll be able to watch the fireworks every night that they shoot nice. them off, which, which is, if I believe correctly, it's every night at dark, Friday and Saturdays through the entire tourist season. I'm completely redoing the inside of this building to make it one of the premier lounges That's uh, awesome. in the area. And when you're in the area, if you want to take a little cruise on the uh, on the bay there, there are boats that you can get on, and sometimes yeah. the captain shows up and the boat sails. Yeah, right? <laughs> every, now I, and then. every now and then. I want yeah. to point out, if you're not familiar with Moody Gardens in Galveston, uh, when you're driving into Galveston from Houston area, that is one of the first things you see, see off in the distance. That pyramid. That pyramid, pyramid that yep. they have out there is amazing, and if you haven't visited it, the butterfly exhibit is just stunning. Well, yep, the absolutely. nice thing about this shop is it's it's going to be directly on 61st Street. So you turn off at of Broadway. If you're going to Moody Gardens, if you're going to Schlitterbahn, if you're going to if you're going to the seawall, yeah. if you're going to the pier, if you're going to the spot, if you're going to any of the touristy restaurants that are down there, mm-hmm. you have to pass by this nice. shop. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, you will have visitors uh, soon after you open, I promise. <laughs> I look forward to it. Uh, Alan, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Always a pleasure and to be here. Jason, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a pleasure. I'm glad we got to reschedule you after uh, after missing you the first time around. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been we, my honor. We appreciate it. And, uh, and I've had two absolutely wonderful cigars today. These have both been just absolutely terrific. Very proud so. of these cigar companies and their owners are doing wonderful things. All right. So uh, now we've had you on the show. We've had Tom on the show. Should we bother to have your other brother, or, or, or have we kind of covered the bases we need to cover? <laughs> have, have we topped out on the yeah. polar? Oh, no, everybody likes Ryan. He, I hate that guy. But, uh, you, know, you should definitely have Ryan on here. We've also got a couple other great guys who are working with us. Uh, Albert Cisneros uh, joined us three years ago, mm-hmm. and Patrick Carmichael came on the first of the year. Uh, so you'll see them around the stores and doing events for all of our cigar companies that I mentioned earlier. So they're wonderful people, too, and they have uh, a lot of retail experience. So they'll give you they, – they would actually be really helpful on the both sides of like, – like Alan here, who's done retail and been out on the road doing the rep business. Albert and Patrick bring both, you know, 10-plus uh, years of retail experience. They're very knowledgeable, and things greatly expanded beyond the cigars that we represent – because that's kind of where my focus has always been. Mm-hmm. But they know everything in the industry. So they'd be also great people. We could fill you guys up, uh, your schedule up pretty well. well I loved on this show. I learned so much all the absolutely, time. Absolutely. And it's really fun being able to do a cigar-centric show. And thank you to Jorge and the staff here at uh, Stogie's for mentioning, allowing us to be a part of this. Jorge, one last thing, because I, I know I, I won't be able to be a part of it this year. I'm sure EP Korea will. But uh, – the wingding is already scheduled. Yes. So uh, if you tickets, go to I think Stogie's already website, available. I'm sure my, not a doubt in my mind that my father will be there. But, um, you know, it's an, it's an event that not only to all the customers look forward to, but it's one of the, there's some of these multi-vendor events that we don't look forward to doing. Mm-hmm. Some of them are a pain. Some of them are a hassle. Some of them we do it because the owners buy a ton and, and we have to go. But uh, I love them all. 
<laughs> Absolutely, he does. He can say that because he's not going to be a rep anymore. <laughs> Jason and Ryan love all of those. We love all of those events. Well, but, um, but the wingding is the one we always look forward to absolutely. because there's the parties here at Stogie's. There's the after party at Stogie's. And it's one of those times, kind of like IPCPR, uh, where for the, for the most part, all of the re- Texas is a weird market compared to other markets. Mm-hmm. We're pretty much all friends here, or at least we're friendly. Yes. Most of the reps. I've I, I agree with that. That's one of the best parts of being in this industry. Yep. And, yeah. and so it's really nice. These big events are the one time or a couple of times a year where we all get together. And Stogie's is a great one because there's parties before the event. There's something for us after the event. Right. Plus, we're all together at the event. And it's a, it's a great event overall. So. And one more thing about events. I will mention that the new and improved Whiskey Sniff is being planned. I was, I was fixing to ask as about that. As we speak. Uh, so we will be bringing you more info on that in the uh, weeks to come on the show. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being uh, part of the program today. Thanks to our producer, Adam, on the Wheels of Steel. We appreciate you uh, joining in with us. And uh, thank Adam, you guys Adam's for watching and listening. Very good. And uh, as we normally say, cheers. 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 Keep smoking.